definitely win. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, senior story editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nudley DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Azarelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 128. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Joe. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from November 17th through December 14th. You may be asking yourself, where the heck have we been for the last couple weeks? Well, as it turns out, there was a problem. You may have heard us talk about it on the normal podcast. Uh, we had a problem with Skype, and basically every time we recorded, it kept messing up our recordings. So we've actually already done a good chunk of this episode in the last couple weeks, and... Uh, it messed up, so we're doing it again, and uh, hopefully everything will be running perfectly this time around, and that. So we have a total of eight books total that we'll be covering here on this episode. Uh, we do have a decent chunk of news from the past month, as well as a couple listener Q&As, and uh, Bat Books for Beginners is back this month, as well as uh, any uh, a special announcement towards the end about a new podcast that's popping up on the website. So we're going to dive straight into comic book news and get into it. What have you got for me? All right, so the very first thing we're going to talk about is on November 19th, there is a teaser image that was posted up. Uh, Scott Snyder tweeted it out, and then it popped up on DC's website shortly thereafter. Uh, it's, a pre, it's a promo image for Batman Eternal, and it's basically showing off a number of the different... It's, it's foreshadowing a number of different events that could possibly be happening in the actual Batman Eternal series. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna kind of talk about some of the things. Now, obviously, it's almost impossible to describe everything that's happening in this picture. So I suggest, as you're listening to this, you head over to the website and find the image. It's under Comic News, under Batman Eternal Teaser Celebrates Thanksgiving. Uh, look at the image, and we're gonna talk about a number of the different things that this image is kind of showing off. So I'm gonna throw it to Joe. And he's going to be able to pick out some of the things that he immediately saw when uh, he saw the image. Yeah, the first thing that I did when looking at this image was try and work out all the characters. Um, the one that I'm most interested about is this purple hooded character in the bottom left-hand corner, which I think we all assume is uh, Stephanie Brown. You know, kind of a slightly reminiscent of spoiler just because of that purple hood. Um, and then Harper O sitting in the middle of the um, the characters there with that blonde character. But I like I kind of I'm interested how they're all kind of staring at her with some kind of level of hatred. So um, I wonder if that's going to do with anything. If if it's, they're kind of distrustful of her, if, if she's going to try and get involved closer with the Bat family, and they're not happy about it. Um, I just mentioned that blonde character, and there's a kind of debate online whether that's Dick Grayson, because Dick doesn't seem to be in the picture, so that's either him gone through some kind of identity change after the events of Forever Evil, or it's um, possibly uh, Calvin Rose. But uh, Calvin Rose is kind of more of a brunette than blonde haired anyway, so that's definitely an interesting character to look at. Um, 
Gordon, just just behind that character's head, Gordon appears to be in handcuffs. Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to be Gordon actually arrested or if it's kind of a alluding to a storyline. Um, and then to the left of here, we've got uh, Kate and Maggie, and Kate appears to have a wedding ring on, which is interesting considering all the controversy that happened before. And then uh, to the left of her, there's uh, Falcone. Um, and then behind them, I'm not sure which characters those are. I couldn't work that out. Above them, there's the owls. So I guess we still haven't escaped Court of Owls. Under the table is Joker's daughter. I'm pretending that's not there. And then um, the rest of the characters. Uh, I'm not sure who those two between Batwing and Catwoman are. Uh, the one on the left looks a bit like Amanda Waller, but apparently it's a new character. And then, uh, yeah, more Penguin. <laughs> and um, uh, Professor Pig, which I guess could be quite interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing him play a larger role in the Batman universe. You know, betrayals. Of course, Joe would take the one that I really want to talk about. But yeah, that that purple hooded figure <clears throat> with her back facing the screen. Uh, I believe everyone... Is, is hoping and, and probably thinking correctly that it is in fact Steph. My concern, of course, is this hoodie. Is this how, you know, she's going to be walking around and it certainly is reminiscent, uh, for me of, you know, Ben Riley, uh, the, the, the Spider-Man, you know, for those people that read Marvel. Um, I, yeah, the Dick Grayson, I mean, that was sort of the first thing besides the purple hoodie there that I noticed is just that, Throughout this entire image, there is no Dick Grayson. And, of course, there's, you know, that rumor that, excuse me, he's going to, you know, be killed off if, if that even happens. But it's interesting if that blonde character next to Tim Drake is, in fact, uh, Dick Grayson, I guess perhaps we'll finally have brought into continuity everything that's been going on in Forever Evil. Because I think the main complaint that sort of come up. Uh, between all of us is just the fact that it happened, and yet we don't really see the repercussions of him being unmasked in these main books. I mean, even in in this Nightwing that we're about to review, everything's sort of hunky-dory all the time. So if that is, in fact, him, uh, I guess we'll we'll see what sort of new identity he has taken on. And, of course, in recent uh, weeks, days, we, we've seen this new image. Of course, yeah, you got Joker's daughter, and, I mean, why the heck do we even want her there at all? I really think that Pig and Penguin next to each other is really interesting, not only with the stuff that has been going on in Arkham War, which who knows if that's going to have repercussions in, in the Batman universe, but just this idea and this thought that I would really like to see sort of uh, a villain's war going on, especially between Penguin and Ogilvy, and, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think it'd be great. I feel like there are seeds being sown that they start uh, getting different people on their sides, and, and then perhaps there's some sort of big war. But you wonder, you know, with these two, why are they in there? Because there aren't too many villains around here, but... You know, why, what are they talking about? And uh, I guess the last thing I'll talk about, because I know Dustin will have some, some interesting things to say. Well, of course, don't forget the little owl there. So I guess we're never with very far from the, <laughs> the court of owls or never away. Just the symbolism of Batman sitting on the ground uh, and everyone else is, is standing up and, and away from him. And, of course, Alfred doesn't look too happy. He has to hunk down in order to get that turkey to him. But... Everyone's sort of far away. I mean, Barbara's at a distance. Batwoman's not really ever been a part of the family. Jason Todd is off looking at it at the distance. But then we have these four 
characters seated around Batman, and I think that is just very symbolic. Um, obviously, we've we've had this this sort of rupture or schism, if you could call it that, within the Bat family because of this death of the family uh, business. Um, but I just wonder if perhaps after all of this, these four people are really going to start getting in tight with Batman. And if that's Dick Grayson, I guess he he turns around. We kind of already saw that he was starting to to uh, think better of him in that annual. And then we have Harper Rowe and Tim Drake, and then I guess Stephanie, if, if she's taken on under his wing. So I think that something really big is going to happen with this group, and this is kind of going to be his, his core team. But what, what that has to do with uh, the rest of the family and, and what goes down, I guess we'll have to see. Okay, so a couple of different things that my colleagues didn't mention. Um, first off, those, the two characters that are actually behind Falcone, and you'll notice that Falcone has scratches across his face, meaning he could be involved with Catwoman, bringing some of the past stories involving Falcone and Catwoman into play. Uh, the two characters behind Falcone, uh, you may remember them. The first one with the red hood is actually Tiger Shark. Now, this is the character who originally was introduced in Scott Snyder's first run on Batman in Detective Comics The Black Mirror. Um, the person behind him is actually uh, Roadrunner, which was another character also part of that Black Mirror storyline. So it's interesting to see that these characters who really haven't appeared for, at this point, you know, two and a half years are going to be popping back up into the comics. Um, I, I'm wondering if that was Snyder's idea or if that was maybe Tinian's idea. Uh, the current word on the street, per se, is that uh, Snyder and Tinian are the ones basically heading up the series um, Tinian's actually going to be, he's off all of the books that he's currently on. Um, he will no longer be on Red Hood and the Outlaws. He won't be on Talon. Um, so with that, he's basically, looks like he's going to be putting a lot of his efforts into this series. So it'll be interesting if, you know, I'm sure maybe it'll never be known whether or not it was Snyder's idea to bring these villains back into the fold or if it was Tinian's. But nonetheless, they're coming back. Um, the other thing that's uh, interesting to note is that all of the animals are shown. It's not really, to me, foreshadowing any some, any kind of story. We see Titus. We see the robin uh, perched on Titus's back. We see uh, the the cat, Damien's cat, who he named Alfred. Um, and then we also see Alfred actually in a straitjacket, which is kind of interesting as well. Uh, I honestly have no idea what that's alluding to at all. Um, some of the other things that are shown, I can kind of see, uh, kind of piggybacking off of what Stella said as far as the four members sitting right behind Batman. I do find that kind of interesting because, for the most part, you know, if these four characters, even though Harper Rowe is amongst them, and I'm not a huge fan of Harper Rowe, um, just because of how she feels like she's shoehorned into so many different aspects of the Batman universe, I think that it would be really nice to get away from this, you know, huge rupture within the Batman universe and nobody wants to do have anything to do with Batman or Bruce just because of what happened in Death of the Family. So that's interesting to me. Um, the, the other thing that I kind of saw that I found kind of interesting was the, the, the red-headed person um, that's also in the picture. This person is, uh, there's not a, a, any other way of putting it. She's at the back of the table, but basically her face is uh, kitty-cornered to uh, the chest of Catwoman. Um, 
who knows who this character is? Now, if you look at some of the redheads that are in the Batman universe, uh, the most prominent one that's been focused on is Carrie Kelly. But Carrie Kelly wears glasses, and this character is clearly not wearing glasses. Now, that's not to say she couldn't, but she also doesn't have any sort of look towards Carrie Kelly. So I'm kind of curious as to who exactly that could be as well. Um, the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, piggybacking again off of what Stella said about the villains, as we talk about Forever Evil Arkham War today, um, Ogilvy's kind of in a odd predicament. So as much as I also would love to see Ogilvy uh, be continued on as a character and be utilized more, uh, even though Layman's not going to be on the actual uh, Detective Comics, and he's and he's the one who created Ogilvy. Despite the fact that I'd love to see him, I just don't see him actually becoming a prominent character. Although, it's, you know, I think it would be interesting to see two different sides outside of Arkham War, like Stella said, where the villains are kind of siding with each other. Um, Arkham War, it's really just Bane versus everyone else. And I think it could be interesting, like Stella said, to actually see kind of like two different groups of villains trying to do something and maybe that's why you see the bat family actually separates because they're they're kind of maybe two different teams but you know that that's that um joker's daughter in the image is the only thing that i'm i really am not happy to see i don't want to see this character anywhere you know they should have just shoved her back in the shadows of underneath the table and that would have been i would have been completely content with that um outside of that um you know, I think everything else was pretty much mentioned. But I, I'm curious to know more so, with Batman Eternal happening and the end of Zero Year happening, I'm wondering how much some of the other books are going to tie into the events of what's happening in Batman Eternal. Now, one of the things that's really interesting um, that was recently mentioned um, in relation to some of the future of the books is that there's, you remember we talked about, I, th- it must have been last episode, we talked about the fact that there's this five year later event that is going to be occurring in DC Comics. And when we first saw it, we, we assumed it was going to be the September event for next year. Now, there was a comment that was posted on the last episode of the podcast. And they basically said the reason why Forever Evil is, is hap, or the timeline of when Forever Evil is happening is not in the same timeline as all of the current Batman books. The Forever Evil is happening after all of this. When Forever Evil actually ends, all of the books will then catch up and react to the events of what's been happening in Forever Evil. I don't remember ever actually seeing anything saying that, but there actually is going to be a new series that's launching in 2014. It's also going to be another weekly series. It's called The New 52 Future Ends, and it's taking place, it's going to be set five years into the future. It'll be published on a weekly basis, and the first issue is actually going to be a zero issue that's going to come out on Free Comic Book Day in May. Jeff Lamar, who's going to be one of the writers on the series, he said, really what we're trying to do with this book is to explore the nature of what a hero is, and we're doing that, obviously, by playing with the future of the New 52 timeline, past, present, and future, all colliding in this storyline to create new characters and new concepts that will hopefully have a life beyond the series. Also, amongst this announcement, it was announced that Terry McGinnis will be making an in-continuity appearance, bringing Batman Beyond into the continuity of the New 52. What's kind of interesting to me about this is, 
this actually could lead up to eventually the five-year-later thing that they're planning on doing. With the events of Forever Evil having such a dramatic effect on everything that's go- that's going on, I almost have to wonder to myself if the events of Forever Evil are going to spark this five-year, t- you know, time jump as, and that's why we end up, you know, jumping five years into the future to basically not necessarily have to worry about some of the repercussions of Forever Evil immediately. At the same point, I understand, you know, there, there's a bunch of different things that have happened in Forever Evil that you have to take into account. The the revealing that Nightwing is Dick Grayson, that's a huge reveal for what's happening in Forever Evil, yet it hasn't been addressed. Now, if you hold true to this remark that we were told in the comments section of the podcast where, you know, basically, and I've also seen this backed up as far as uh, tweets from Kyle Higgins, the writer of Nightwing, and he, people have asked, you know, how is the events of what's happening in Nightwing fall in line with Forever Evil. And he specifically stated at one point that the Nightwing series is, is just telling a story and eventually when Forever Evil ends, they'll move, they'll skip forward to after Forever Evil and, and deal with the repercussions then. So if that's true, then obviously there's a lot of stuff that's going to kind of deal with what's happening. So I'm wondering if Nightwing is the only book or if there's going to be other books there, you know, as far as, uh, Talon, that was another series that we had a lot of questions with over on the Point Five cast. So I don't, it, it's, everything's kind of up in the air as to what exactly is going to happen after Forever Evil at this point, specifically because there are, there is such, there's going to have to be at least a repercussion within the Batman universe as to Dick Grayson. Now, if this means that he takes on a new identity as somebody else and he becomes this blonde character, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, talk about it in a second, but there were the solicitations for March, I believe, were released as well. And in that, the uh, that issue of Nightwing ties into Forever Evil because it's him chasing down Zars, which directly links to um first issue of Forever Evil, where the reason Nightwing came back to Gotham was taking Zars back to Arkham. So um, I guess it will be tying in, but uh, that's the same date at uh, the same month as the last issue of Forever Evil, assuming it's not going to be delayed. Um, so I guess the, the issue after could be dealing with the repercussions after it. The the other thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast is the Point Five cast you also may not have heard. Uh, the Point Five cast is actually going to be on hiatus until early 2014 because of we're, we're basically going to reformat the entire Point Five cast and uh, launch it with a basically as a new point five cast in 2014. So for now, we'll be talking about a lot of the news that we would normally be talking about on the point five cast as well. So next up, uh, November 21st, Marguette Bennett uh, talked about uh, the fact that she's going to be doing a one shot that's going to be released in February called Batman the Joker's Daughter. And, uh, I'm not gonna get into the entire interview, but basically she made it, she, she makes it seem as if this character is important to the Batman universe and the point of the one shot is to, in fact, do that. Now, why, in fact, Joker's daughter is so important to the Batman universe, I do not know. Um, at least as far as how she's been written in the pages of Catwoman and the one-off villain months issue that came out, I still have no idea why she'd be important. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, well, 
I think that this was just a mistake, right? I, I mean, well, I guess I don't want it to seem like DC is is um, unintelligent, but perhaps they just like misread the sales numbers because the fact was that it it sold out, and I don't know if they like really look at it just literally and not think about the the circumstances. And they said, "Wow, this sold out." I think there's interest for Joker's daughter, and that's a complete misread because I just like popped on a different website that was looking at that that image, the Thanksgiving image we were discussing, and under Joker's daughter, like it said, like oh, so I mean that was just a random website that I found off. So I, I don't know if there are any fans of Joker's daughter, but I, I wonder if this is just going to be not a good issue and and kind of blow up. I can say I'm I'm sure that. Um it's just a kind of a reaction to the character being popular or at least selling out. Um, I, yeah, I haven't met anyone who's a fan. All I know is it's the, the issue, uh, Catwoman 24, which I believe was their first appearance is already selling at five times cover price and, and things like that. So there's definitely, I don't know why, but a demand for the character. Yeah. The thing is, you know, in Bennett's defense, I don't think that Bennett's a bad writer. Um, you know, she worked with, with, uh, Scott Snyder on the Batman annual number two, but more recently she worked on the Batgirl zero year ish- issue last month. And overall, I mean, we, we, we actually thought that the issue of Batgirl was one of the better ones of recent memory and we gave it a 3.5 out of five. So, I mean, like for the most part, the events of what has happened as far as what she's been involved with. She was also involved in two other Villains Month, but we didn't review them because I believe they were Superman. I believe one of them was Doomsday, if I recall correctly. But we didn't review them, and, you know, she's not get, she's not getting bad reviews for what she's been doing. So hopefully she'll be able to salvage what's been happening with the character to kind of make the character not necessarily more more enjoyable, because I don't think that's possible, but I think more... I guess more acceptable to just being around. So I'm, 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 that's, that's my hope at least. That's, that's as far as we can hope from now. All right. So moving along on, uh, December 4th, uh, James Ting in the 4th, as we know, will be leaving Talon in December. Uh, Bennett will actually be doing a one issue story in January 2014, but then Tim Seeley will be the next writer of the book. And he's going to be doing a two issue story arc that's going to involve Calvin dealing with Lord Deathman. Now, if you remember, Lord Deathman was part of Grant Morrison's story um, during Batman Incorporated, and Calvin actually comes across Lord Deathman because they're trying to figure out how to cure him because he's be- he's basically undead be- ever since being in- infected with the uh, Talon serum. So he gets led to Lord Deathman, and that's the story that's actually going to be written in the book. Um, and as it turns out, it was later announced, which we'll just say now because there's no reason to withhold the information. It was announced on December 13th when they released the solicitations that the last issue of Talon will actually be that second issue from Tim Seeley. So in March of 2014, Talon will in fact be ending. No surprises there, at least for me. Um, I've always been amazed that it lasted as long as it did, not because it was bad just because there's only so many stories you can tell with a character whose main appeal i guess is that he escapes from things i you know i wonder what's going to happen with the character himself 
and whether because I feel like he had a lot of a lot of potential, and I mean maybe not enough for a solo book. Though I guess we've said that about Batwing, and, and Batwing's still going. So it you know it happens. I wonder if it just fell because Tinian left. But you know, are we going to see Calvin Rose again? Because I, I think he could sort of be brought into the to the Bat family somehow and and pop up from time to time or maybe if we get these huge detective comic books where you've got a main story and then several backups maybe he has a backup there and he's able to to work with someone like man bat i don't know but you know i it's it's sad though because you know to see other other characters i'm like well that's okay but i I think that he had some potential and i think he was fun while he lasted though i wasn't on the 0.5 cast so (laughs) perhaps they had a lower tolerance you know, I would say that, you know, t- for the most part, Talon, it was just an average book. You know, we, we gave it average ratings almost month in and month out. You know, it wasn't amazing, but for the most part, part of the reason why it wasn't as interesting is just because it feels as if they're just carrying on this quarter of the Owl storyline until something else outside of Talon happens with the Court of Owls. It's basically like a refresher every month that, hey, wait, the Court of Owls still exists. This is what's happening Something could happen with them in the future. Stay tuned. And that's what it felt like every single month when you read Talon. Like, it wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad, we definitely didn't give it low ratings as far as like zeros or ones, but for the most part, it was just a standard average book. And that's probably the reason it's, it's going, you know, it's, it, that's probably the reason why it, you know, created its own demise. But at the same point, I would have to argue that, you know, there's other books out there that I feel as if, they should have probably been canceled before this, such as books that we don't give uh, medium or average ratings to. All right, so next up, December 10th, Jimmy Palmiotti talked about Goth- Gothopia and Harley Quinn. Uh, first off, he talks about Gothopia and how Batwing's going to tie into it. He basically said, Batwing is tied into the city of Gotham. His family lives there and his, and his father is Lucius Fox. We have many personal events that tie into what the bigger picture of the event is, and Justin and I will be taking Luke to some very dark places with his personal life and the world he will be introduced to. We had to be part of this story and are super happy that we had, we got to say, we get to say and a chance to tie our book into everything going on. It, t- it, it ties into all of the titles and events happening in the other books cross over with Batwing. Uh, he then went on to talk about Harley Quinn and basically said that uh, the first year of the book will basically be establishing the character as a, as a singular, her own character. Uh, but they also tried to, they're also going to be trying to make some Harley fans happy by possibly bringing in some of the more well-known characters she's been tied to, such as Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Um, so as far as... Harley Quinn, I'll just say this. Uh, if you read the first issue, it was an amazing first issue. It was really good. Um, we'll talk more about uh, what what uh, ratings it is later on. But uh, specifically, it was, a good, it was a good way to start off a series. I'll leave it at that. Um, getting into Batwing, I think it's weird that it was worded, his response to it, uh, Batwing being tied in, was we had to be a part of this story and are super happy that we got that we get a say and a chance to tie our books into everything else going on. So now they're being told what events they have to tie into. 
Hmm, that seems odd because every event that's ever happened prior to this, Scott Snyder has always said that all of the other writers have always sat there and said that they want to be a part of this and they want to have a crossover, and that's why it ends up happening. Hmm, I'm starting to wonder if the writers are actually the ones who want it to happen and if it's not DC who editorial who wants it to happen to make a couple extra bucks. Bum, bum, bum. I'm not too surprised, to be honest, that they're told that they have to tie in somehow. Um, I guess it's it's unfortunate that, you know, they can't decide whether they want in on it. But, I mean, it's it's a little unbelievable that a writer would want to be a part of every little thing that goes on, potentially. And if if the crossover doesn't fit with what they're doing, then why are they doing it? And And I think that question has sort of popped up on several occasions. Uh, for this, I mean, it just stinks because, I mean, Palmiotti is he's, he's a good writer and, and I think it'd be a fun book. But once you're told you have to do something, I feel like creativity is sort of like shoehorned. Well, it's, it's like you have less potential to do something that's amazing because it, it probably already seems like there are confines that they have to work within. Um, and, and I had no idea that this entire gothtopia was, was surrounded by, um, uh, <laughs> Batwing. So that's kind of interesting. Not at all what I was expecting. All right. So also on December 10th, it was announced that Red Hood and the Outlaws is going to be getting a new writer, as I kind of mentioned earlier. Newsarama broke the news that the new writer for Red Hood and the Outlaws starting in uh, issue 29, uh, starting in March of 2014, will actually be Will Pfeiffer. Uh, this is the first time Will Pfeiffer has actually worked at DC Comics for the last six years. Um, he previously worked on Catwoman back in 2008. Um, the new artist on the book will be Rafa Sandoval, and Philip Tan will be doing the cover art for issue number 29. So Tinian, as I mentioned earlier, is no longer on any of the books that he has been currently, or that he, that well, currently he's writing, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what a new writer can do for Red Hood and the Outlaws, because recently there's, you know, when uh, Tinian first took over the title with Red Hood and the Outlaws, our hope for the title was that we were going to get away from the all-cast and the untitled, and we weren't going to be referring to a lot of that stuff. We were going to start focusing on the core team, and basically that really hasn't happened. Um, unfortunately, um, they had, or well, I should say, fortunately, they have tied a little bit more to the Batman universe by dealing with Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins recently in the title. But outside of that, they really haven't been doing a whole lot as far as making the story more about Jason Todd or even more about the other two members, Starfire or Roy Harper. So, I mean, with that, hopefully a new writer coming onto the book can kind of help this series gain some sort of direction if that's the and that's pretty much the only way i can actually put it because i feel like it just doesn't have a really great direction at this point also on december 10th it was announced that the batman zero year finale will be pushed back a month scott Snyder tweeted some interesting news regarding batman number 28 and a he also teased a new character that's going to be popping up in issue 28 according to snyder's tweet he stated that batman number 28 will be pushed back he specifically said our news is the current Batman number 28, the finale of Zero Year Dark City, will now be Batman number 29. And a new Batman number 28 will come out in its place by me, James Tinian, and Dustin Wynn. 
A special thank you issue that takes place six months in the future from present continuity of the DCU and gives you all sorts of peeks into the craziness planned for 2014. And believe me, the issue will have a lot of surprises. After all the support you've shown us on Batman and on Zero Year especially, we owe you big. Big like a debt we can never ever repay. Big. But with this issue, we'll try hard to fill the pages with thank you spoilers. Thank you guys from the bottoms of our black twisted hearts. You are Gotham always, and here I'll post a tease of a new character appearing. Well, he said, new, question mark, character appearing in Batman number 28 right now. And this person basically is, uh, it appears to be, well, I don't know, have really any way of putting it. This character basically looks like a mecked out Nightwing who happens to have a mohawk, who also happens to be a female. I'll just leave it at, uh, could this possibly be Harper Row? It kind of look. you, you sound so disappointed. <laughs> You're like, I thought we were rid of her. It kind of looks like uh, Manhunter a little bit, the way Manhunter. Oh, thank you, and that's a DC character, is it not? You know, what's her last name? Kate something. Kate, you know what I'm talking about? Spencer. Thank you. Okay, Spencer. but yeah, no, it kind of looks like that. Uh, could it be Harper Row? Um, I think that's all what we're thinking. I mean, the mohawk and everything that's like, it's Caesar style, kind of got the, the blue tinting in the, uh, the mohawk and everything. And, you know, if it is, I have two questions. My first question is, well, then, what has happened to Dick Grayson? And my second question is, really, what's, you know, what's the the big deal in the end? I mean, if she, well, I enjoy the character, so I guess this is coming from someone who has enjoyed reading her, but I think that this could be awesome. I'm actually kind of thinking that she may be a a spoiler-esque character because Batman has, from the outset, told her he wants nothing to do with her. So I think that she may sort of pull on that that guy's uh, without his knowledge at first, and so they may uh, bump up against each other. I don't think she's going to get her own book. I think she'll probably be in the Batman book, but, I mean, why not sort of get away from what we've been doing now, and, and I think this could be could be some fun. So, you know what? I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it looks different, but New 52 has been different different all around and has made people feel icky about themselves. So, I mean, let's go with this and, and see what happens. So, I'm actually optimistic and I'm looking forward to it. Who knows if I'll be eating my shoe on a, a future podcast or not. I think regardless of who the character is, the costume looks terrible. Um, I'm really sick of this kind of overcomplication <laughs> and oh, man. all these kind of this, it doesn't make any sense, and like if it's Harper Row, it'll be even worse. And I don't really care about a future issue. I don't really as I, it feels like you know just a, a chance to get more money because it's kind of like oh yeah, look at all this stuff coming. So you know you just paid for this, and you're gonna have to pay for it all again when it, we do it for real. And uh, I'm bitter. So. I guess. So I'm the, again, I'm the Stephanie Brown of the podcasting world. It's a shame you didn't disappear. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. And on that note, December 11th, uh, Tim Seeley talked about Batgirl uh, and how she will be appearing in Batman Eternal. As it turns out, um, Tim Seeley will actually be doing an ar- his arc for Batman Eternal, even though we don't really understand the structure of this book yet. His arc is going to be very Batgirl-focused. Um, I'll read through what he said. He said, there are, 
my arc is very Batgirl focused. There are other characters in it, but Barbara is my character for my arc. She's not so vendetta focused usually. She's focused on helping people. The way she's typically done, she's not the one using her position to get back at people who did her wrong. She's the spark. She's the more lighthearted. So her going on this big adventure thing makes a lot of sense. I think having the different back characters really adds to this Batman universe. You can just see, while those people help characterize Batman, Batman helps characterize those characters. They bounce off each other and reflect each other. There are a bunch of new characters introduced in, in this, which was one of the reasons for the existence of the Weekly, to populate Batman's world even further. We as a team came up with a bunch of new interesting characters, both villains and allies. So, I think it's interesting that basically he described Batgirl as a complete 180 of what she's been for the last two and a half years. Which will be nice. If if this actually happens, um, and now that he has said it, like something doesn't happen in the universe and he's he has to go against what he has just been <laughs> saying, uh, I applaud him. Uh, that's the Barbara Gordon that we have wanted, uh, someone that is stable, that does have fun, even though it's a, a serious career, she's still having fun. And yeah, I mean, the past year has been a bunch of loopy, crazy stuff and, and just a lot of anger and emotions up and down. And that's really not the type of Batgirl I think that we, we have ever wanted to read. And that's been some other character, you know, that we don't ever read. So, um, I, I'm hoping that this this is true and the only thing is that you know this is eternal but what does that mean for the rest of Batgirl and where she appears Birds of Prey has been very stable um, even when it's like crossed over into you know she had to leave at one point and come back and like she was even very stable even though like she had just come back from her brother and everything but Batgirl is all over the place as we have seen so even if we have an awesome Barbara Gordon character in Eternal if in her own main title she's not that way I feel like they're it's just problematic because they're conflicting characters so I'm I'm hopeful that maybe it can bleed over but you never know yeah I'm definitely looking forward to this new interpretation and I definitely hope that it um yeah bleeds over so let's head to the the actual Batgirl title and I think the way a way it could work is if if Barbara kind of gets over this kind of thing she has with her dad and then if Batman becomes more accepting, I guess, and kind of this ridiculous death of the family nonsense is kind of swept under the rug and uh, the Bat family can start getting on again, then I think there is a chance that that's, um, yeah, they, she, they could, like, if, if she has a good relationship with Batman, then there's a chance for her to have more fun in the role and I, I would hope so. Yeah, I have to say I'm, you know, I'm all for the revitalization of Batgirl, um, specifically because we really haven't enjoyed what's been going on. Um, and I'll and I'll just leave it at that, you know, because at this point we kind of have to it's we we have to play the game of wait and see and see what happens. So next up, December twelfth, it was announced that uh, Batman: The Dark Knight will be ending in March of twenty fourteen. Greg Hurwitz blogged on his personal blog that Batman is forever, but sadly not all of his titles are. Batman the Dark Knight will be ending with issue number 29. When I first signed on to do a single arc with David Finch, I never imagined I'd stay this long. DC has been great and gracious about accommodating this, and because of their flexibility, I wound up writing on the title for two really damn fun years. 
It was you guys who picked up the Penguin and through word of mouth turned it into the commercial and critical success it was. It was you who took Dark Knight constantly way up there on the bestsellers chart, landing us at the top of the New York Times hardcover graphic novel list. And it's been your enthusiasm and energy that's made my run on the title one of the most gratifying jobs I've ever had. Um, he then kind of delved into what what's coming up with the title, but we we already knew what was happening. Ethan Van Skyver will be on the final issues, um, and the final issues will be focusing on Manbat. Um, and as we know, he's so so. Th- let me just move on to this, okay? Clearly, you know, when I first learned that uh, Batman the Dark Knight was ending, this was before we found out that Talon was ending, because it wasn't until December 13th that when the solicitations were released that we found out that Talon was going to end as well. It really just feels like the Dark Batman the Dark Knight, despite the fact that, again, this book had decent sales and had decent uh, ratings, it still is they're 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 trying to it really just feels like they're trying to make room because they know that they're gonna be releasing an additional four issues at least per month mm-hmm. with Batman Eternal. So they're trying to make room in some way, even though by only eliminating Talon and Batman the Dark Knight, you've just you're still creating three extra books that people are gonna buy have to buy regardless of the fact that you've only you've you've eliminated two. Um Again, this is another title that I don't feel as if they should have canceled because there are books that aren't nearly as good. So it's odd to me that that's what they decided to do. Although, um, because they did announce, well, he announced that this is ending. And then the next day they announced that, well, they released the solicitations and we found out that Talon is also going to be done. Um, we know that for, we know for a fact that, uh, at this point, it's pretty much a guarantee that April is going to be the launching month for Batman Eternal with these issues ending in March. I'm sure they're not going to keep waiting and wait to start Batman Eternal until May, especially with the the uh, New 52 Future Ends series kicking off the beginning of May. I doubt that they're going to ha- wait for that. So uh, the the other news related to solicitations that also was announced at the same time as uh, Talon being uh, Talon also ending outside of Talon and Batman the Dark Knight, uh, Batman Little Gotham is also going to be ending. Now, obviously, this doesn't necessarily pertain to a lot of what we what we cover because for the most part we cover Batman Little Gotham over on the website. Um, but it is also going to be ending. It is a digital first title, but the first, the, the very last, I guess, chapter you could say is going to be ending that month as well. It'll still be a couple more months until you see the final, uh, digi- the, the final print copies. So even though we don't cover it here on the podcast, it is a shame to see Little Gotham go because they have had some really good stories in that, uh, digital first series. So, uh, I'm wondering almost if Dustin Wen and Derek Friedhoffs are possibly going to be on another, uh, series coming up due to the fact that they are not going to be doing that series any longer. So, yeah, outside of the solic- outside of the solicitations, there's, or outside of that stuff, there's not really anything related to the solicitations that's really even worth talking about as far as news. No, I, I'm sad for the the Dark Knight uh, because I've actually really been enjoying it so far, especially with this this Clayface, and I feel like it was one of the worst books in the beginning, uh, but then like it just I mean, it completely changed, and I think it it really 
got some great storylines and it's it's been fun i get you know and it's in its own special way but it is it it does stink just that there are I mean, we're giving an opportunity to have a one-shot with Joker's daughter. And, you know, there are these other books that aren't very good. And, and we're getting rid of ones that have a great deal of potential and have shown a lot of growth throughout the years that it's it's been going. So I'm, I'm sad to see that go. Yeah, I think, though, out of all the Batman titles, it probably was the most uh, disposable just because they're never going to get rid of Batman and Detective for obvious reasons. And then at the moment, this... Batman and Robin has turned into Batman and and it's kind of an excuse for Bat- possibly like a Brave and the Bold um, type stories where he's starting to interact with other heroes and, and things like that so uh, they probably enjoy that freedom um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Greg Hoetz, um came to write on a, a different Bat title or even if they started, I mean like you said in that, um, that summary which I, I thought was uh, a nice kind of uh, thank you to DC and stuff, and it I hope shows that they're not all bad. Their editorial team, um, but if if he, you know, he was made popular, uh, especially to us, made known to us through pain and prejudice. Mm-hmm. So if he got the chance to write perhaps more uh, miniseries and things like that, especially as that was kind of what he was doing in the title anyway, was a a series of origin stories. Uh, there is a chance for him to do more of that, perhaps. So with that, that is actually all the news from the past month. There's a lot of news to cover in a, well, not so short amount of time. But with that, we're going to get into our comic book reviews. And we, as I said, we have eight books to cover. So our very first book is Batman and Robin number 25. There's just one problem. What's that? You're talking to the wrong Harvey. Batman and Robin number 25, a.k.a. Batman and Two-Face number 25, The Big Burn... Sparks. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, colorist John Kalitz. Gordon is speaking with Aaron McKillen outside her cell, and he is surprised by her asking to speak with Bruce Wayne, using her one phone call to call him. They don't talk about it long before some acid is seen making its way through several floors of GCPD. On the roof, the bat signal is half corroded with acid. A nice little statement by Harvey Dent, and sort of nice to think back to the long Halloween. Dent is several roofs overlooking upon his work. Batman comes to see Dent and tells him to trust the system again and let it work now that McKillen is in custody. Two-Face only trusts himself and says that everyone will pay, or everyone does pay in the end. Dent was going to bust into GCPD headquarters, but he changed his mind. Wasn't that nice? But then he flips a coin and tosses Batman a timer that happens to be connected to a bomb. And this, there's another bomb. That is set to explode on a nearby roof with several Gothamites underneath the tarp. Batman gets there in time, attaches the bomb to one of his grappling guns, and then fires it into the sky. We then flash back to when a van is transporting a body with several GCPD cars escorting it. The envoy is attacked, and the body inside the bag is Aaron, who happens to be alive and getting rescued by her cousin. He asks about Shannon, whoever that is, and she only says no. 
Batman appears just as Aaron is escaping. He takes down some of the crew, then lands on the car transporting Aaron. Her cousin has brought her some green liquid, which I presumably believe is acid, uh, but he wants to get her out of the country. She says that today is the day. She then takes a shotgun and hits Batman. He calls for Alfred, and then Aaron asks to be taken to 34 Tulane Court a bad move, according to her cousin. We then flash to Harvey and Gilda at the office on that fateful night. Aaron arrives and speaks of an unbreakable bond she had with someone that Dent destroyed. She's also amazed that Dent could always tell them apart, her and her twin sister, who we can believe is Shannon. Aaron asks Gilda if she would die for Harvey. She says yes, and Aaron proves it by stabbing her. Dent then goes berserk, and just as he's going to shoot Aaron and she hit him, it all goes black. So now we're back in the present. Bruce and Aaron are speaking with police looking behind some glass. She reflects back on the glory days of Roxbury Hall. Bruce asks why she came out of hiding, and she explains that something important came up that required a personal touch. What she wants from Bruce is protection. The GCPD cannot protect her from Harvey indefinitely, and she knows Bruce has connections to Batman, Inc. He will not help her since she has not cooperated with the police. Aaron then goes into uh, another berserk fury and says that, he asked her for help once, asking her father to help him find his parents' killers. He tells her that the little girl he knew isn't there anymore, and he says that the, well, she tells him that the frightened boy is still there, and Gordon breaks up the meeting. Aaron is then locked up in a block get, black gate until the trial. A guard comes in explaining that he has family and was forced to help when some thugs enter saying they too have ropes around their necks and their families too, so basically Aaron's about to die. One of them records the event with, I don't know how she got her iPhone in there, but okay. Aaron is able to choke a guy and put a fork through the eye of another, but she's still overwhelmed when suddenly Matches Malone appears, just like Dobby from Harry Potter, out of nowhere, and explains that he is there to escort Aaron out of Black Cape. Even though Malone is more of a pacifist, uh, as the thugs call him, he still takes them out with the help of Aaron. The riot squad enters and has their hands full with the criminals as Aaron and Matches run the other way. Matches uses some custom C4 to blow a wall, drugs Aaron, then jumps into the bay towards a bat sub where Alfred picks them up and makes a funny comment about forgetting his trident, the Sea King. And then Aaron wakes up in Wayne Manor. <laughs> Next up, Ignition. Okay, so my first question is about... uh. We, I, I feel like we've never talked about something like this before, but th- this this will be a quick... Uh, y- the imagery of Batman and the United States flag. Uh, did anyone... Did that strike anyone while you were reading that? You know, at the very beginning when he goes on to, to save the people under the tarp. But it's something that I, I really always reflect when I'm watching the Spider-Man movies because they always seem to... You know, they really put forth the, the American flag there. And this is something that... I feel like I've not really seen in in DC comics and I feel like Batman is a hero for everyone and so to really like put in like US flag. I don't know did did this strike anyone other than me? You know the thing about it was it was it, to me it was a little weird because you don't see it that often. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's a bad thing. Honestly, I think it's a cool image. I'd love to have it blown up and have a poster of it. But it just it seems it just was like it was weird placement. That's that's my thought on it. It just other than just the convenience of being right next to the American flag, it's just odd placement. Mm-hmm. It looks great. It looks good, but oh, yeah, it just I seems agree, yeah. like it just just very odd placement to have this, you know, panel that has Batman in front of the American flag, 
after he gets done talking to Two Face. Like it'd be a completely different story if it was some some story related to patriotics, you know, patriotic, uh, you know, necessity or something. I don't know, something like that, or, you know, dealing with something that was like un-American. And Batman is bam right there in front of the American flag, showing that he is very American. Something like that would make a lot more sense, but just odd placement. But it looks great. It it definitely, I, it really took me out of the comic. I, I kind of just stood back and was like, I actually put it down. And was like, what? And I, like, I wasn't sure if it was like some kind of advertisement or something or what it was. It really, it was some like strange propaganda or something. <laughs> I, I really didn't understand it. I, yeah, that it, that really took me out of it. It kind of confused me. And it's not because I'm like anti-American or anything. It's oh, just, sure you are. Well, you know, if it was night standing in front of the uh, Union flag, then. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, it was, I definitely thought it was strange. But then, kind of similar in almost just, um, just in kind of how, like, it was just like one kind of page of Batman in front of an American flag almost reminded me of, uh, Dark Knight Returns. Not in content, just that kind of when he's, uh, carrying the, uh, the army general in the American flag, and it's just that one page, and it's kind of like, what's going on? It kind of, I got that kind of sense. Not again, not in content or anything, because it's obviously not dealing with the same thing. Just that same kind of level of what's going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't think it looked particularly cool either, but I guess that's because yeah, I'm not patriotic for America. But it was, it didn't look bad. I just uh. I don't know, it didn't grab me, I guess, in the same way. It kind of just took me out of it. What are your thoughts on Aaron and Bruce having a history together? And not only them going to school, but the fact that now she was also involved much in the past and that he came to her father to ask for help in order to take down the people that, that shot uh, Martha and his father. You know, it just really seems like they're trying to like build the... That basically build the history of that that event. You know, we've seen in the past where, well, I mean, like if you if you not not so much in the comics, there's been situations in the comics where Bruce investigates his parents' murder, but it's while he's Batman, and it's kind of like at his some of his lower points. But like if you look at Batman Begins, he you know they show him going to Carmine Falcone, basically being like, hey, I you know I want Joe Chill taken out, blah blah blah. It's, you know, he's showing the low points of that time of his life before he decides to go out and train to become, you know, to become something better, to do something better for, basically be better for the city of Gotham to make it a better place. But outside of that, I mean, like, they've, they've changed a lot of stuff related to Harvey Dent involving this character that is basically brand new to the comics. So if they want to incorporate her in other aspects that are not necessarily as prominent in the history of Bruce Wayne, you know, I don't really necessarily have a problem with that, but I think that, uh, I just hope that she doesn't become this, like, linchpin, like, at the end of the issue, somehow Matches Malone is the one who's supposed to break her out of jail, Yeah. but somehow she ends up back at Wayne Manor, and that's not, she's not supposed to connect the dots somehow, like, why would Matches Malone be linked to Bruce Wayne in any way, shape, or form? That, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, that definitely doesn't make any sense, but I did appreciate an appearance by Matches Malone. I don't know, yeah, I didn't mind the history. I don't, I'm not particularly keen on the character. I'm not really sure about it. But, um, 
I kind of liked that history, and um, I liked that kind of that self entitlement of uh, yeah, you know, you came looking for a favor once, and it wasn't even from oh, it's my father, and that kind of like you know, like you came looking for a favor once, you owe me now, give me what I want, and like Bruce, like in his character, say like, no, <laughs> you, you didn't cooperate with the police. There's no way I can help you. I uh, I liked that um, that kind of story point quite a lot. Well, I guess you know here we're even now, Dustin, because uh, you 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 skipped on to one of my points here. Uh, yeah, matches breaking Aaron out and her ending up in Wayne Manor. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uses the use of matches? It, I feel like it's been a while. I can vividly place him in. Um, wasn't it a, a Batman Inc. that he popped up in? There was a girl, a club dancer. Wasn't that a Batman yeah. Inc.? Yeah. yeah. And then, so, wh- he's coming back that I feel like it's been a year. And then, how is this going to be explained? You know, and Bruce isn't in a tux or anything. It's like he's very openly being Batman, in my opinion, because he's got his, like, latex suit. He doesn't have the actual bat armor on, but that's basically something that Bruce Wayne wouldn't, wouldn't walk around with. So, thoughts on, you know, matches appearing and how is this all going to be explained? You know, I honestly have no idea how they're going to explain this because, you know, Bruce Wayne tells her, listen, Batman Incorporated's, I thought it was, I, I do want to say, I, I think it was kind of cool that she mentioned Batman Incorporated and they kind of addressed it because, we, like we've said before, this is one of the few books that they have actually addressed pre-New Other 52 stuff. events yeah. with mm-hmm. Batman Incorporated. So the I think it's kind of cool that they mentioned Batman Incorporated and she's like, well, can't you get one of your... You know, basically one of your guys that you pay to come and protect me because Two-Face is going to kill me. And he's like, no, it's dismantled. It doesn't really, it doesn't exist anymore. I I thought that was kind of cool. The fact that Matches Malone is the person who ends up supposedly being sent to get her away and then deliver her to Wayne Manor. I have no idea how they're going to explain that. It's not going to make any sense other than her finding out that Matches Malone is somehow linked to Bruce Wayne, which... Okay, you know, I guess, you know, I don't know that she's necessarily going to connect the dots and say it's the same person, but I think it's odd that, well, she's, she's, why would Bruce Wayne have Matches Malone hire her? Yeah. Or, or hire him? It doesn't make any sense. Like, of all the people, that's the person he hires. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it was cool to see Matches Malone in New 52. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool, and I thought the art was amazing for, you know, when he first pops into the, the jail cell. But, like... Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I can't figure out how they're going to explain it. No, I have absolutely no idea, but I'm willing to go for it, uh, go with it at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if they'll even bother to explain them, but uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they get around that. Yeah, no, you know, I think we have really seen in uh, Tamazi's work that. If this sort of thing happens, he's going to be able to explain it and hopefully explain it well. So I'm going to suspend my disbelief for now, and, and hopefully um, it'll, it'll all turn out right. All right, so Batman and Robin number 25, I'm going to give a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. I agree, 3.5 out of 5 batterings. And I will third that, 3.5 out of 5. And over on the website, Derek gave it 3 out of 5 batterings, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 25 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Damien, Son of Batman, number two.
Damien, Son of Batman, number two, written and drawn by Andy Hubert. The issue opens with the last one left off with Bruce, uh, with Bruce Wayne approaching Damien and yelling. It quickly becomes apparent that Damien did kill all the villains in the last issue and the two begin fighting. The ball ends when Damien shoots his father in the chest with his grappling gun. Distraught, Alfred yells at Damien to get out whilst he sends to Bruce. We then go back to the cathedral where Robin is having a very open confession with the same priest. After listening to his guilt, the priest tells Damien to go out and become the next Batman. We then go back to Wayne Manor where Damien is in the middle of a chess game with an ongoing opponent, whilst the computer is scanning files. After a while, Damien finds what he's looking for, a sighting of the Joker. Damien goes down to the Batcave where he assembles his new costume, visits his father to apologise and says he won't let him or Dick down as the new Batman and rides off to Arkham Asylum to try and find the Joker. When he reaches Joker's cell, it's empty, but he realises that Professor Pig was recently there, and we cut to Bruce in bed being tended to by what looks like a Jokerized nurse, before we cut back to Batman, bursting in on Pig's hideout, but he's immediately attacked by Dollatrons. Overwhelmed, the Dollatrons take him down, and the issue ends with Damien being tossed out of a window. So I guess the first thing to talk about, um, and I guess in hindsight, I can't believe especially I or anyone else didn't uh, realise that Batman didn't have to be Bruce Wayne to be Batman. Um, so it was obviously Dick that died in the last issue. Did that shock anyone or did you kind of have a sudden realisation between reading the issues? You know, it's funny because when I was reading this issue, I was thinking to myself, huh, I never even, I, I didn't even think about that. Although it makes perfect sense given the fact that we see how old Bruce is, but even though at the end of the last issue, Bruce, he just made a very quick appearance. To me, it's almost weird that, I mean, like, okay, you you know they had to, you know he set it up to be like that because it was almost like he was trying to trick people by not saying anything about the fact that it was Dick and the Cowl the entire first issue and then Bruce makes this appearance at the end of the, the, the first issue, and you're like, wait a second, what the heck just happened? I mean, I didn't realize it was Dick under the cowl. I have no problem admitting that either, mm-hmm. because I think that's the way he meant it to be, because otherwise what would be the point of Bruce appearing at the end and being like this surprise thing at the end? What doesn't make any sense to me is it almost makes me feel like like that was the point of the issue, was the shock value ending more so than the actual, than everything else. Because if you think about it, why wouldn't Bruce have said anything to Damien when Damien first starts killing people instead of waiting that length of time where he's killing, you know, these people left and right, and then all of a sudden he just appears and is like, well, here I am, and you're doing the wrong thing, da-da-da-da-da. And it's just like, other than the shock value of the ending, what was really the point of that issue if everything that happened in there was leading to that ending that, oh wait, it didn't matter because it wasn't Bruce under the cowl to begin with. And that's not to say that it was a bad, I- that that issue was a bad issue. It's just, I just thought about that a lot after I figured out, after it was revealed in this issue that it was Dick under the cowl. I kept thinking to myself, huh, that doesn't make a lot of sense of why 
they never, you know, Bruce never stopped Damien when he first started killing people and he let him kill so many people to begin with. Because it wasn't even explained in this issue. It wasn't like, it was explained as, well, Bruce wasn't, you know, he doesn't live at Wayne Manor anymore. He lives outside the country or whatever. And it took him a while to find out. But if Dick died, he would have came back anyway for the funeral, I would assume. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I just started overthinking that first issue way too much. I, too, was shocked. Um, and, and I guess it's one of those things where it's like looking you right in the face, but you just, you just forget about that detail. Uh, but I liked how it played out. I think that it, it was well done and, and perhaps we had just forgotten. We had, were so focused on New 52. So maybe this came out at a great time. We were just so focused that we completely forgot about that potential. Um, but you know, I, I liked the shock value of that. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, like through the first page it kind of clicked but obviously that was way too late for me to claim like any kind of foresight on it um so it, it was a bit of like a oh yeah a bit shocking but it was more of a oh joe you're an idiot for not <laughs> thinking of that already yeah after listening to what you uh thought about it dustin i think that you really made some kind of excellent points there and it kind of dampens my already not so great view on the first issue um but uh the next thing I wanted to talk about was um, for a story set in the future, does anyone else get the feeling this is kind of an homage book? An homage to what? Could you? Well, just like, yeah, well, if you actually read the physical issue, it's like printed on a, not like newsprint, but that kind of, it's like the pulpier. Yeah, paper. it's like pulpier paper. And it's kind of like the art style is a bit sketchy. Like it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Batman Odyssey, that kind of, you know, like he feels a bit 90s, like almost, uh, you know, his father passed away recently, kind of, it's got sort of more influence on that, I feel, and I wonder if it's kind of arcing back to that a bit. You know, I, I don't know if that's, that's what they're aiming for. Maybe that's just, maybe, maybe that's what Cuber wanted. Maybe that's just how he wanted printed, or maybe that's just what DC wants to do when they have these miniseries that aren't necessarily falling into continuity um as we know odyssey when they printed that it didn't fall into continuity so they kind of you know did their own thing there maybe that's just what dc's wanting to do they're trying to save a little bit of money by not having the super glossy pages that we have in all of the other books i, I honestly I, I i don't i i didn't really notice it that much but um at the same point I don't really look at it as a big deal one way or the other. I, I almost feel like it, it's just DC treating it differently, which is odd because clearly DC had to go and say, we want this book. It wasn't, it wasn't like Odyssey where it needed to be finished up and they needed to run those last six or seven issues or whatever so that they could actually finish the story that was started before that never finished. It's not like that. So I don't, I don't really know. Uh, the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was there's a few kind of questions that have started popping up, and I wonder if you think they're actually going to be answered uh, in the last two issues. And that's things like, um, who is the priest? Who's Damien playing chess with? Uh, who's this nurse? It's kind of a major one, I guess. <laughs> um, and looks like this priest has showed up twice now, and I kind of... The only mm-hmm. person you can really think of is like Jim Gordon, but I'm assuming that's just because he's got a mustache and glasses, and that's just who I jumped to. But that would actually—that's that, who I would say. That's I mean, who like, I thought too. Yeah. Because like I honestly I couldn't think of anybody else who it could be. 
Um, at that point, I would assume that he would know because it was stated in the last issue that that the priest was fully aware of Damien's past and his father and all of that. So at this point, I would assume that maybe Jim Gordon just, you know, he decided to become a man of the cloth, I guess. Um, I agree with that. I thought actually that the nurse was Joker himself. Um, I don't know if that's just your wrong cell sort of situation, but I didn't think it was a Jokerized nurse only because she seemed to know what was going on. Um, and you would think that, well, yeah, you, you would just think that they, they just start laughing and have no idea. So unless he really perfected his formula, but for some reason, I just feel like it's Joker all dolled up somehow. Uh, well, dolled up. <laughs> uh, she's pretty, uh, she's, she's ugly. But what has happened to Alfred if she was able to walk in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, for the, for the nurse, you know, I, I honestly thought it was the Joker too. Um, mostly because how extremely ugly she is and the fact that she's like carrying on this odd conversation with the unconscious Bruce. Um, it does beg the question, like you said, Stella, of where Alfred is, how, she, how he got in the building. Um, the, it also begs the question of if it is the Joker, why exactly is she there? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, why exactly is, why, how, why would she go to Wayne Manor to, you know, do something mm-hmm. to Bruce Wayne? As for who, who is he playing chess with? I thought maybe, um, uh, his grandfather, uh, Raish or Roz, or, um, would it be too far of a stretch to say it was Jack and Apes and that, uh, Damien doesn't know that <laughs> he's playing against Jack and Apes. It's just like some online character, but we see that Jack and Apes in the Batman 666, um, universe, which I feel like this is really where this is, um, this is the universe that it will lead into, um, what we've seen in 666 and then beyond, um, that they are bitter rivals, and that's his, his um, arch nemesis, so why not? It's, it was implied in the last issue that Damien killed Jack and Apes. Oh, that's true. Good call. I kind of, um, my nudges towards who it could be playing chess with was either Alfred or maybe even the Joker, just because of how it's set up. You know, like he must be some kind of super genius. But um, that was an interesting. Uh, point about maybe it's the Joker like in drag. Um he didn't seem or she or he or whatever didn't seem to do anything to Bruce when they were there. Just mm-hmm. kind of lifted up his um gauze and had a look and then walked out. But uh that would be again I guess fairly interesting if it was that um something that again I didn't see coming. Alright, so that's gonna so Damien Son of Batman number two, I'm gonna give a total of three out of five batterings. I'll give this a two and a half out of five batterings. Huh. I'm going to give it... You know, I like this issue. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. Alright, so that's going to give Damien Son of Batman a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics, number 26. Alfred, anything unusual on the Batwave? And I mean freaky unusual. Let's have a look. With the discovery of several mammals found completely drained of blood. To qualify. Langstrom couldn't have used fruit bats. Begging your pardon, Master Bruce. Let's just say, I'm no longer the only bat in town. Detective Comics number 26, written by John Lehman, art by Aaron Lepresti. The issue starts off with a bunch of teenagers going to a cave, which they call the Bat Cave. But it's not the Bat Cave, it's a Bat Cave. 
and they talk about how there's a bunch of bats in this cave. They come across a glowing being who has a number of bats surrounding them, and seemingly they go missing. We then see Batman utilizing his hologram presence in the morgue, and he examines some bones with Commissioner Gordon, talking about how basically there's some bats in Gotham City that are killing people, and it appears that they're just eating them. Later, Batman realizes that the only person who might know about this is Kirk Langstrom, a.k.a. Manbat, so he decides to track out, track down Manbat. After he gets into a fight with him, um, after he shoots a sonic wave at his ears trying to basically make him go out, he gets into a, a physical fight, hand-to-hand combat with him, um, and just as, as he trying, as he's trying to talk him down, uh, we cut to a scene three hours earlier where Alfred and, and Batman are talking about the, uh, the types of, the type of bats that are actually, um, the, the types of bats, and it's nothing that's an actual real type of bat, so it's clearly some sort of different version. As it appears, uh, we cut back to present time where Batman has put a small device on the floor that emits a sound that uh, makes it makes it basically calms Man Beast down or Man Bat down, to, so that uh, Kirk Langstrom comes back to his human form. He then proceeds to tell Batman that uh, he doesn't need the serum anymore, um, but he's but he does know what's going on and it has to do with Francine. Uh, we cut to Cadwell tech where he's showing him the situation telling him what happened with uh francine and explains this is what's going to happen this is how we can stop her uh batman doesn't really like langstrom's idea but he doesn't really have a choice he uh they head to the cave where she's known to be and batman uses a syringe to basically subdue him so he doesn't turn into man bat while he's actually in the cave they get into the cave, and as it turns out, it's explained as Francine has turned the bats to basically be these monsters that do her bidding. Uh, they're different versions. Batman is basically keeping Kirk Langstrom safe when they approach this being where she says she's not Francine anymore, she's the Bat Queen, and she sends all her bats to sick him. Uh, Batman says, I'll protect you, Langstrom, but as it turns out, Batman doesn't protect him for very long as the bats start tearing through Langstrom's suit. Um, Kirk Langstrom turns into Man-Bat and goes to attack Francine. And as we find out, Batman did not give Man-Bat a serum, but actually gave him um, the antidote to make Francine go back to her human form. Uh, we then see Batman tell Man-Bat, listen, we've got her, we did it, he turns back to his human self. And we see that they're both going to get locked up into, uh, we both see that they're going to get locked back up into Arkham Asylum. Uh, we then cut to Wayne Manor, where, uh, Alfred is looking cockeyed. As Catwoman says, we're supposed to be partners. How, I could have come with you. I could have helped. As Bruce Wayne stares and Catwoman is in what appears to be some sort of Robin-esque suit. Next, Gothotopia. Alright, so first off, we get the conclusion to the Man-Bat story. You know, the, the one thing that I have to say is, you know, it's been two months since last month dealt with uh, Zero Year, and it was really based around a story about Gordon. Um, we see the conclusion, We although last month it was slightly carried on because it was part of the backup 
in the issue is at least addressed in some way. Um, but I want to know your guys' thoughts is, you know, this man bat story has been happening for a while. Honestly, it's been happening since I want to say the 900th issue is really the, the, the starting point for the, the man bat story. The 900th issue, that really wasn't the 900th issue, but, um, it was, that was a, that was a while ago. That was the starting point for this Langstrom story. And here we are months later after multiple interruptions with Villains Month and Zero Year. How do you feel they wrap this story up in the time that they have, knowing that next month's is the uh, 27th issue and Layman's last issue? How do you feel they wrap this up? Um, I didn't, I really don't feel like this story's been going on for that long, probably mostly because it's uh, been happening in the, backups for the most part um yeah it it wasn't fantastic but overall i enjoyed it i i like the kind of how it's been pieced together and it i don't it's strange that that it's almost a one shot but also like the conclusion to an ongoing arc um yeah the fact that it's near like so near the end of layman's um time on Detective, it's strange. I mean, I guess he's closed most of the threads other than uh, Ogilvy, so it'll be interesting to see if people carry on using him. Which I, I kind of hope they do. I know the Bat fans uh, aren't particularly keen on that character, but I enjoyed what he did with him. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure about uh, Batman's use of deception in this issue, but overall I thought it was fairly decent. You know, just to go on that, I know this wasn't an Ogilvy issue, but I think that it bears speaking of him. Um, and maybe even in, uh, The Dark Knight is when we can talk about it more, but I feel like we, we need to carry on this tradition with Ogilvy. Uh, sort of like I, I'm sure, um, Morrison really wanted other people to use Pig, and Pig has been popping up because Ogilvy has a great, amount of potential we already saw in a previous issue that he's sort of making buddies where he is uh which i think is blackgate but i feel like it's um it's it's gonna be like an awesome thing if if we could have like this war between ogilvy and penguin just to stake out because i feel like that's where we're building they're going to start building this army and then but anyways that that's for another time i was you know disappointed with this issue I've been, the backups I wasn't really enjoying, but once we finally got into, you know, Langstrom having the serum and everything like that, and then this, I guess it was like almost Donovan's last issue that he was on, you know, this big question of, is he going to be this hero or this villain? And we were all weighed in on that answer, and I thought, I think, you know, it'll be great to have him as this anti-hero, but more hero than villain. And I think we got to that point here, but there was more. This issue for me felt very anticlimactic. Uh, because all of a sudden he pops up and then like his wife had undergone this crazy transformation, which, you know, I don't quite understand. And then they easily subdued her and then he sort of goes on into his own little, his own life. So the question is, you know, I mean, Langstrom has to go away as well. Is that the end of him? And I, I think that there could have been so much potential. I mean, why start off so small with these backups and then really build up, show some great importance to this character just to leave him? Is it because Layman is going? But um, for me, you know, I, I think this this went out with a little bang and it had uh, great potential for a big bang. So the other thing I want to talk about is... There, there, honestly, outside of what we just talked about, about wrapping it up, 
I didn't really feel like there's a whole lot more to talk about related to Manbat, but uh, really the the craziest thing that happens in the issue is that last page. Um, Langstrom's get locked up, and then we see Bruce going back to home, and it appears that Catwoman is Robin. Now, I don't really have a great explanation. We have no idea what this Gothitopia story that's going to happen next month is actually going to be. No clue. Um, in the, I guess, the cover for Catwoman uh, 27, which is part of Gothitopia, does have her in some sort of Robin costume, so it's assumed, but I don't really understand it. I don't really understand why Alfred is looking that weird cockeyed way that he is in this <laughs> issue, or in that panel, specifically because if this is supposed to be some kind of, like, alternate thing that's happening... I don't, I don't know. I have, I, honestly, I, I have no explanation other than it's just supposed to be leading into this, but they're not doing a really good job of leading into it with that. Uh, also, in that same line, I'm trying to figure out why this issue didn't have a backup. Um, as far as the page count goes, it seems like it's right on par, but it just seems odd because it really didn't feel, to me at least, that this story was long enough where it you know, didn't have a backup specifically because the main story was much longer. So, as far as anything else that I, you know, any other questions, I don't really have any questions. If you have a guess of as to what Gothitopia could end up being based off of this Alfred Cockeyed panel, you know, by all means, enlighten me. <laughs> well, <laughs> Gothitopia is going again, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but again, we're going away from main stories. And all the books are going to tie in, right? Because Birds of Prey is also tying into Gothtopia, as far yeah, as I know. It's, it's it's not all of the stories. It's I know Batman's not involved. I know Batman and Robin's not involved. It's a lot of the like the female characters. It's a lot of the second tier books. Okay. Um, I know I know that uh, I don't even think that I don't know for sure, but I don't think Nightwing's included either. I know Batgirl, Birds of Prey, Catwoman. Um, I believe Batwing's not included in it. It's a weird combination of books. It's it, and it's odd because we had all these stories that just tied into Zero Year, like and as and like as you just said, with you know we're getting away from all of the main stories yet again, mm-hmm. you know, with one month in between. So we're basically like every other month for six months, you're getting some other story that has nothing to do with the actual story. So I don't really know what what the the the, the goal is here. I also find it odd that for whatever reason this Gothitopia thing is happening in Detective Comics 27 when where there's also going to be a ton of other writers writing smaller stories within that same book as well. Yeah, I assume that um, the start of it had happened in another book, like the last issue of Catwoman or something. Um, I only knew kind of what was going on from what I'd seen of promos, so... Um, I didn't realize that this is kind of the introduction of that. Um, yeah, like you said, I, it almost seems to just be the female characters in the other than other than Batwoman. But um, I, yeah, I'm not 100 percent on what books are taking part in it. But if it is Catwoman, Batgirl, and Birds of Prey, uh, yeah, and then Batgirl appears to be in her all-white costume. Catwoman is for some reason some kind of Robin-Cat hybrid. Um, yeah, I well, I'm not looking forward to it, but uh, I, that might, I mean, I don't even know what it's about, so it will be 
potentially interesting at least to kind of find out what this is but it was a strange introduction to a uh, to an event of sorts it's i wonder if it has anything to do with an idea of like a utopia or a dystopia uh, just with this I, I don't know if it's i mean it's all females i don't know is wonder woman gonna pop up it's like themiscara on gotham but I, I don't know what what it has to do it just i wonder if the name has any clue as to what's going on but if this is the quote intro then there's got to be some backflashes somewhere but i i don't honestly don't know how are we going to pull away from what's been going on batgirl murderer Birds of prey are separated, and they're dealing with all this stuff. So I don't really understand how all of this is going to come together, but I guess I'll I will find out. And and I frankly hate how DC has been doing it, going from storyline. Let's take a break. Do this other thing. Storyline. Let's take a break. Like it's very jarring. I can't remember what goes on when they do that. All right. So Detective Comics number twenty six. I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. I'll give it a three out of five batterings. Um, I'll give it a three as well. Just at least we got to see um, Man Bat be a hero for a little bit, but I- I'm hoping that we we get more with him. All right, and over on the website, Benjamin gave the issue one and a half out of five batterings. So that's going to give Detective Comics number twenty six a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman the Dark Knight, number 25. Ho, ho, ho. Mother use Clayface. Batman the Dark Knight, number 25, Full House. <laughs> I remember that, that show. Writer Greg Hurwitz, artist and cover Alex Belief, colorist and cover color Dave McCraig. The issue opens with Penguin walking around his property, taking stock of what he has and giving orders on treatment and preparation of certain items. He is also disappointed with his muscle due to their inability to get him on a mailing list, and he hopes to crack his number one, number one, out of the nuthouse. Speak of the devil, Clayface comes crashing through and tells Penguin that he is finished with him since he has repaid his debt to Penguin. It's Clayface's time now. Back at Arkham, Gordon asks what was the reason why uh, Clayface broke out now, and Bullock explains that Clayface's neighbor recently died, to whom he was very close, and by whom his acting was appreciated. Batman appears suddenly and says Clayface has lost his audience and will, will be looking to be seen, admired, and adored. We then see Clayface downtown kidnapping his new audience. Bruce then begins to search every casting office that Carlo went to, every theater that opened one of his films, every film set, etc. Since there are so many locations to cover, Bruce knows he needs help. (laughs) Though though there is a short list of people that he hasn't offended yet. Still don't understand. He calls him Black Canary and Condor. Uh, that confuses me for a bit, and sends them the list of possible locations. Meanwhile, at some location, Clayface has his audience set up and hooked up to IVs. We then flash back to six months ago, after the magic man allowed him to control himself, and he knew he wanted to control others as well. He visits Joker, complete with his wonderful face mask that we all love, who gives him some Joker juice that will apparently not kill them. Joker appreciates the idea Carlo wants to be worshipped, 
But he also thinks it's a little twisted. Hey, pot and kettle, pot and kettle. Clayface attaches the Joker juice to the IVs, and the audience begins to laugh as Carlo puts on a show. The two birds and the bat search until Batman finds him and is prepared this time with special batterings, though it is unclear what they actually do since it just seems like they go into his body. Batman and Clayface fight, and Clayface is kicked off of a catwalk into a vat of something. And what is that something doing in a theater, I ask you? The audience members are set free, and they don't seem to show any uh, side effects from the Joker. Uh, Batman and Gordon then think about how to keep Clayface in Arkham this time, and the issue ends with Clayface in an airless tank being heated by a furnace, the poor fellow. <laughs> Next up, we got Voiceless. <laughs> the shortest discussion that we may take place is the people that Batman chooses to help aid him. Dinah and Condor, what are your thoughts on this? I have a bit of an issue because um, it doesn't seem to go with the, the continuity because right now those two people are actually like kidnapped um, in like a basilisk sort of holding facility. So I, I don't know where they came from. But why these two people out of all of the ones that he could choose, especially when we saw at the very beginning, he still wasn't sure if he could trust the birds of prey. But thoughts on the people that he has chosen? It's it's odd. Uh, I, I will say that uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That there, I mean, well, when you look at it, the other options, who else is there really? Uh, you've got uh, in with Tim Drake. He's uh, jumping around parallel universes in the pages of Team Titans. Uh, we've got Dick Grayson, who's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We've got Barbara, who is not supposedly Batgirl right now. Um, and really, there's nobody else that he can really turn to. Outside of like Catwoman is being the only other person in the city right now, so realistically, I I don't really see a whole lot of people that that sh- that, that he could turn to. But like you said, in the pages of Birds of Prey, those two are nowhere to be found in, near Gotham City. So I don't really understand why they decided to include them, uh, especially since they don't really do anything. I know. I mean, like they basically. They're all the three of them are going to knock out all these locations, but for some reason, the location that it ends up being is the, the very last one, probability-wise, as portrayed. Because Batman says, "Make a list, and the highest prob- probability ones give to me, and everything else give to them, and we'll go check." And there they are at the bottom of the list, and they're all saying that they haven't found anything. And it's like, okay, wh- wh- why would it be the last possible place? That it happens to be. And then realistically, like you said, Condor and Black Canary, they show up to do what? They show up to basically take the people who have been Jokerized IVs out and smile after the fact. It almost felt like somebody said, hey, let's uh, get some people interested in Birds of Prey. As as someone who's not reading Birds of Prey, um, I didn't know that they were incapacitated or unavailable. I don't actually know much about Condor, but I, I thought it was interesting to have uh, Batman team up with, you know, not the people you'd regularly think. Um, so especially Condor, you know, it's like, it's nice to see him interact with uh, Black Canary and things like that. But um, I guess, like, story-wise, it kind of makes sense why he's not calling on his, his regulars, um, especially after death of the family. You know, we're still not 100% why they're not friends, but, uh... Yeah. 
but yeah, I quite liked that it wasn't the, the regular cast of characters and it was, you know, people slightly out of the ordinary. I, I enjoyed that. I can only hope that at one point their issues will be solved and this won't go on forever, but who knows. Um, next point, humor in this issue. I thought that, well, I, I enjoyed this issue. There were some really funny moments, like especially when Batman pops up and, you know, Jim Gordon is freaking out about it. And then at the very end, uh, he says, oh, finally, you announced yourself. But no, Alfred had a lot of great lines. Gordon had some. Even Batman had a little bit. And, and I feel like the Bat titles have been lacking this. What would you think about the humor just kind of coming through more so than, than it normally does in a Bat book? You know, every once in a while it's okay, but this seems, this, <laughs> this is the one series that I would think that this would be the last place it would be. The, the other thing that's odd is outside of the, okay, I, I would not, I, I could understand humor in Batman, I could understand humor in, in, uh, in Detective Comics. But Batman the Dark Knight, it's really the, it's, it really has always been, except for when David Finch was on the book, the gritty book. And that's what Hurdwitz is good at. Grittiness and the darkness. And that's, that's fine. It almost feels like he's trying to like change up his game by doing this. I don't think it was bad, but it just it felt kind of out of place. At the same point, I, I do, I do feel like there was a couple of things that Batman said that didn't seem like should have been there at all. But then there was a lot of other humor that was not necessarily related directly to Batman that I almost felt like there was that one panel where uh, Alfred says he makes some joke, and Bruce is sitting in the chair with his like head sunk down, and he's like, it's almost like you could picture him like shaking his head, like really. And Alfred sits there, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, Master Bruce." And I almost felt like that every single time some sort of humorous thing was said. I almost felt like that one panel, like I was Batman putting my head down, like really, this is what. This is what we're doing now. Kazan Bacard? Yeah. The thing is, I've always thought that this book had a lot more humor in it than most books. Um, I kind of get what you're saying about out of all of them, you wouldn't expect this one to be the... I mean, it's not the comedy book, but it definitely plays it light on some things, especially... I, th- I always think um, Batman and Gordon's interactions have been kind of humorous, and I I thought that, again, in this situation, I quite enjoyed that interaction. Um I'm not sure if it's, again, kind of like an art thing or if it's just because of the writer or what it is. I guess it's just because it's called The Dark Knight that you wouldn't expect it to have any kind of humor in it. Whereas, like, with Detective, because of uh, John Lehman's history, you know, like Writing 2, which is a very funny book, I was always expecting that to have a lot more comedy in it, and it never really did. And again, Jason Faber is quite a serious artist. And um, Alex Maleev as well, he's got he's quite a dark style, you know, lot of shadows and things like that so it it kind of contradicts the art style a bit but i appreciate that it's not all you know i mean it's like <laughs> i'm just glad that it's not kind of tony daniel style or, or david finch writing that kind of thing which you know like it, it could be in this comic and i'm glad it's not um so whilst it sometimes it feels a little out of place like i don't mind it i appreciate the human it this it is strange because like i like the comedy in it and it doesn't bother me that it's in this book 
but it doesn't quite match the art style. But then I wouldn't want a kind of a cartoonier art style in this, or at least I don't know. I like that this book has the slightly different or slightly out of the ordinary art styles. You know, it's not. It doesn't look like the DC House style, and I appreciate that. So I wouldn't want to lose that. But that kind of the darker artists that are on this don't necessarily match the humor that sometimes comes through in this book. So it's a kind of a weird contradiction, but it, it didn't really bother me. It, it, it does feel a little out of place on some occasions, but you know, I, I'd rather it there than not be. And I don't, you know, I don't know if like art style necessarily like it needs to be a, a cartoony feel to be. Cause I mean, like manga, if you could think of that as like cartoony and doing crazy stuff that, I mean, that could also be like a very gruesome sort of thing. I think of Akira, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was great. I, I guess I've never noticed it before, if it has happened in other things. I mean, we, we always give Alfred his lines and his sarcasm, and we even saw it in um, Batman and Robin, you know, just did you forget your trident, Sea King. But I just thought that it was fun, just great, great moments, and Batman popping up and saying, I'm here to announce myself. And then Jim Gordon said, finally, I thought that was a great scene. Oh. Uh, so last issue, I thought like, okay, this is too, we're getting to know Clayface a little bit. And honestly, I thought, okay, this, this is almost like a one shot. And it's like little by little, we've got these little one shots that are sort of making up a whole. How do you like how this is going about, uh, his life? And we sort of have one villain. He moves out from under Penguin and now he has Joker. So your, your thoughts just on how this story is progressing and the use of different villains coming in and, in influencing Quayface in different ways. Well, I think it just speaks to the character. The character is kind of like, you know, a second tier of villain when it comes to not really being a viable threat for Batman as far as compared, or I, I guess I should say compared to some of the other villains. So the fact that, you know, Clayface is resorting to help from some of the more threat Villains, I guess, I, I, you know, that, that makes sense. You know, I don't know when, you know, the one, the one funny thing that I was thinking about was when did the Joker, with all of the stuff that happened during Death of the Family, when did he find time to give Clayface a jar full of Joker gas? But, you know, we already said that it's that story, you know, there was a lot of stuff that didn't make sense with that, with the timeline of things, but, you know, it just, I think it just is, it just comes down to, you know, I can understand um, the, the 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 way he's trying to write these stories, where they do come off as like single issue stories, but they kind of but they still could be all together. Um, for the most part, they don't even you know they reference the stuff that happens in the previous issues almost as if just to give you just enough information so that you can read this issue by itself without having to go back and read the last issue. Which I think is kind of an interesting way of writing because you don't see that very often. You know, they'll reference things from previous issues, but it's not generally like, well, here's a very, very small recap to get you up to speed. Most of the time it's, let's review, th- you know, let's review things for, for issues and issues and issues, you know, about the overall story. And I think that this is kind of an interesting way of writing a story where, you know, essentially, it is a bunch of one-shots that combine to make a larger story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's smart for single-issue print. It's smart for trade paperback print. It's really smart, and you don't see it that often. 
Yeah, I definitely appreciate the uh, the pacing and how the story's been split up much more than these you know, gargantuan, huge story arcs that last for months and months and months and then, like Stella said, are then interrupted by all these kind of events and times and stuff. Um, so I definitely appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I mean, as for the actual story, I, I, I like, you know, it works, you know, him being a, a, a lower tier and not, you know, being a big bad and, and everything Dustin was saying, it, it works well. I, yeah, I, I think that he's being written, written well. I like that his, his, um, I, I like that he's driven for, for, as a, driven by a need for an audience and, and things like that. It's an interesting take and kind of goes back to his origin as that, the actor and things like that. So I, I think that out of, um, everything Hurts has done with these villains, this one feels the most original and the most true to the, the origin of the character. So I've been enjoying this quite a lot. I, I too have really, I, I've really liked it. I thought, <clears throat> I, in, I enjoyed the fact that he got out from under Penguin and he was making his way. I wasn't really sold on the fact of him going to see the Joker. Uh, I, I didn't think that that played in well. Yes, the audience fact, but does he really want the audience laughing at him because he was more of a dramatic actor, um, never really comedy as far as, you know, I could tell. So to have them just really laughing and not really paying attention just seems to go opposite of his goal. Uh, and perhaps there was some other way to, to get people. I don't know if Scarecrow had some sort of diluted formula where they wouldn't fear, but they'd be like really focused on him. Um, but it is cool just that he's this kind of guy that can go from one person to another, not really have an allegiance or anything and, and get something. And I really liked just these little piecemeals, uh, moments with him. And, and I'm interested to see how he gets out of this little box that's being heated right now by a furnace. Cause I can only assume that voiceless is also about him. So it's, it's, I, I've been enjoying this. This is great. All right. So Batman the Dark Knight number 25. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batteries. I agree. Three and a half out of five batteries. I'm going to step it up. Give it a four out of five. And over on the website, Adam gave the issue three and a half out of five batterings. So that's going to give Batman the Dark Knight number 25 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. That is going to take us straight into our next book, Batman number 26. Batman number 26, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. The issue starts off ex- kind of, again, with the odd sequences at the beginning of the, the issue with Bruce Wayne sitting eating popcorn at the movie theater and it's and he's watching the Mark of Zorro when all of a sudden out of nowhere James Gordon appears and says that Bruce Wayne is under arrest we then see the title page with a bunch of dogs ripping somebody up and somebody else uh whose face is painted saying it's time for the truth uh we then cut to well present past time where Bruce is trying to figure out why Lucius just stabbed him with the serum that Helfring created. Um, and then he realizes that it, he was not, th- he was not actually stabbed with the serum. Uh, as he looks on Helfring is, is basically appearing to strangle Lucius Fox because Lucius used to be his friend, but he's the one who gave him up. Um, after Bruce kind of tries to ward off Helfring by whacking him with a pipe, 
he notices that his bone, instead of breaking or getting bruised, starts growing some spurs, um, showing that he can't actually be hurt. He tosses, Helfern tosses Bruce Wayne to the side and continues to go after Lucius Fox. And when he find, when, once he figures out that it's actually Bruce Wayne, he wants to tell him a story. So he tries to go after him. Bruce ends up using a jet engine to distract him long enough for him to get thrown to the side so Lucius and him can ex can escape. Um, as they get to the door, um, Helfrin actually emerges as a much even is even larger than he was before, and uh, we see Bruce get his skull essentially crushed by Helfrin when all of a sudden James Gordon, not Commissioner Gordon, but still the same Gordon. Uh, appear and say, step away from the billionaire as he fires off some shots and the health friend decides to jump out the window and escape. We then cut to a scene where Bruce Wayne is locked inside of a metal wrecking ball and uh, he is told that uh, his father is on the phone and your, your soft death awaits, so you speak to him for the last time as he gets handed a phone and he hears his father's voice. We then cut back to present past time where Alfred is with Bruce at the hospital, explaining that he has a he has a uh, skull uh, skull fracture, and uh, Bruce insists that he needs to get going and gets out of there because uh, he needs to finish the jammer that uh, Riddler has created. Because as soon as the authorities figure out a way to get the power back on, the Riddler is only going to put the city into another blackout. Um, as he tries to get out of the bed, he notices that his foot is handcuffed to the bed, and he's approached by James Gordon. James Gordon says that he wants to talk. Bruce uh, continues to appear very annoyed by the fact that Gordon is, you know, basically giving him his presence, and or in his presence. And and uh, after Gordon says, "Listen, just because uh, Loeb and I are supposed to be chasing after Batman, I believe that Hellfriend's one of the things that we really need to be focusing on." Uh, Bruce then explains that uh, he knows exactly where he got that trench coat, and because of that. We go into a flashback of when he was a child. Cutting back to that early scene in the issue where where uh, Gordon tells Bruce Wayne he's under arrest, uh, we see Bruce Wayne getting put into the back of a car, um, a police car. The officer who's in the car is Dan Corrigan. And as as they're driving through, uh, it appears that uh, for whatever reason, Bruce Wayne was being truant. And he's being taken back to the police station. But on their way back, they keep making a number of different stops. And Gordon says, we're just checking in after Bruce questions what they're doing. As he, as uh, his partner comes back from the car, he tosses him a trench coat. And at that point, Bruce realized that they weren't actually checking in. They were actually, in fact, uh, collecting their fee for protection from all of these different businesses. Uh, Bruce then breaks the handcuffs off his foot from the bed, uh, knees Gordon in the gut, grabs his gun and says, this is the, this is what I want, what I want to, what I remember the most from that night as he holds Gordon's gun to Gordon's face. He then gives the gun back and says to, or to Alfred, we need to get out of here. Uh, Gordon then walks away as, um, he is handed something from a uniform police officer saying that the commissioner got this, but it's actually, in fact, a copy. Uh, Gordon looks at it and is, in fact, some sort of note from the Riddler. Uh, we then see Batman on some sort of bat jet ski cruising across Gotham Harbor as 
the the current storm Rene is approaching, he's headed off to a facility that houses two more members of the team that Hellfoom was on, but this facility actually uh, at one point was weaponizing weather. Um, Batman gets into the facility, approaches the two doctors, but it's too late. They've already been, in fact, uh, taken control by the Helfrin serum. We then see some police appear out of nowhere, and uh, as the one detective is saying that Batman has uh, a weapon and he's about to draw, they all start firing at Batman. Uh, we see Batman being shot, blood drips, and we see next, buried bones. All right, so Batman number 26. This was kind of an interesting issue only because, you know, there, there's a couple different things that I, I find interesting. One, the Riddler story that Dark City was touted to be has turned into Dr. <laughs> we really haven't seen the Riddler that much. We actually saw the Riddler at the end of the the first part, the first arc of Zero, Zero Year where we see, uh, we saw the blackout actually take place. But since then, the Riddler has been nowhere to be found. Uh, so far, the Riddler's taken, has had more of a role in the events of the first half of Zero Year, even though that wasn't supposedly the, the, the one that had to do with the Riddler than he has in this, in this, this arc. Um, Outside of that, we finally find out why Gordon is, in fact, so despised by Bruce Wayne, even though this is kind of, this is, this is different than what we've, than Gordon has been portrayed in the past. I would sit, I would sit here and say that honestly, I, I thought the whole thing was that Gordon at some point comes to Gotham from New York or from Chicago and he comes to Gotham as a detective, not as a uniformed cop who's patrolling the streets, who gets wrapped up inside of the criminal ways of the Gotham or the GCPD anyway. So to me, this is kind of interesting because it's being portrayed as uh, Gordon's being portrayed as a different character because he's involved in this corruption that has happened within the GCPD. And outside of that, you know, I'm, I, I don't, have a whole lot of talking points other than number one, what do you feel as if this story is really trying to get across since we're focusing so heavily on Dr. Death, Helfrin, and the other talking point that I'd like to discuss is what do you feel about number one, why Gordon's, why or were finally revealed as to why Bruce despises Gordon so much and this different portrayal of Gordon outside of the continuity that we are, we are, have been accustomed to. I, do you think it's strange that we're, I mean, for a supposedly Riddler-centric or centered story, we're kind of delving into these other things, but I guess I'm taking it as, uh, as, as kind of zero year and Riddler are kind of the overall things, and then this is a smaller arc within that. Um, it, it is a bit strange. There's only like a couple of mentions to him, whereas, like, it feels like it should be part of a bigger threat because I kind of it's just seems a bit strange that Riddler did all this and then it's kind of the idea of him sitting back and just waiting for a response is a bit strange. I don't necessarily mind it. I like that this this gigantic story is being split into slightly smaller, uh, more digestible arcs. Uh, for me, I, yeah, gigantic. I think is definitely the word. And for me, it's a little too big, um, which I guess I mean. 
I think this is just who Snyder is, which is great that he just has like these huge aspirations. And I think, um, sort of like tangents, uh, may, may spin out of control, but, I feel like maybe we should have started with one thing with the storm and with Riddler and, and stayed with that. And it seems just like we've lost sight of that for right now because out of sight really is out of mind for me and especially in comics because it, it's, if we want to make Riddler this really, uh, great villain and have this great introduction, uh, I think he needs to be present and really show how he is affecting it. And I actually honestly completely forgot about Riddler. I just thought we were in a completely different story and, you know, the past and everything besides looking at Bruce Wayne's haircut. But I forgot about Riddler until I read the zero year issue of Birds of Prey. And he was actually, he was present, but not present. He was just mentioned a lot. And, um, Everything that was going on at that time was actually really um, entwined with with Dinah, and then like we saw her sort of origin story and everything. Uh, but I, I I forgot about it, so I'm I I don't really like this Doctor Death thing uh, as much. I, I think you know if we would have scrapped it and kept with Riddler and brought in Lucius Fox in another way, I think perhaps the, the story would have been more steady and it, not as convoluted. But I think convoluted is just sort of what we get with these with these really great brainstorms that Snyder has. All right, and then going into the the other talking points about Gordon, you know, personally, I think it's odd that we were, we're changing the origin of Gordon so much. Obviously, Batman Year One kind of cemented who Gordon was, and that was, and to a lot of people, it's more of a Gordon origin story, more so than it is a Batman origin story, and I would agree with that. And it's to me, it's almost odd that, you know, we're getting this origin story for Bruce Wayne, and, you know, for whatever reason, we we at some point during the story, we have to rework who Gordon is as a character. The fact that Gordon at some point was involved in police corruption, to me just, to me just feels like it's spitting in the face of the character. I don't really care if he eventually changes to be a good person. He was never a bad guy. I mean, even in Batman Year One, when the when the corruption was all around him, he was the one person who was so heavily against it and didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, it was portrayed perfectly in Batman Begins. And to me, it just comes across as, why do we need to have Gordon involved in the police corruption in any way, shape, or form? And then not only have him involved, but then have Bruce Wayne know all about it. So, how, so I mean, like, eventually we're going to have to learn how Bruce Wayne comes to trust Gordon because we're not being shown that here. Um, and I don't know that we're ever going to be shown because we're not suddenly going, I mean, like, unless it happens before the end of the uh, series, which there's only two more issues left in this storyline, not including the twenty number 28 that's not going to have anything to do with Zero Year. So I almost have to wonder why they decided to, why Snyder decided to do this. Because it just, to me, just kind of spits in the face of the character. Yeah, but I, mean, I would have agreed with you if it wasn't for how Lucius Fox was handled in this issue. And it kind of makes me mistrustful, I guess. Um, and it goes back to how Scott Snyder rarely seems to commit to anything, like change anything and then keep it changed. It's always kind of left open. So there's a good chance that in the next issue, in a couple of issues, it's going to be revealed oh no, I was never doing that, this is what actually happened, and Gordon's, and Batman's going to be like, oh, okay, I guess I just assumed that because I was young and looked at it in hindsight or something. So there's a good chance that Gordon is not a bad guy, um, and there's just some kind of 
like argument or like some mistrust there between them because of this kind of misunderstanding and that's been built up over the years to this kind of level of hatred um and I, i'm not sure how i feel about that similar to how i felt about lucius fox in the last issue it's kind of oh wow this is different i'm not sure if i like it because i i'm not sure if i want lucius fox to be a bad guy and um this doesn't seem to kind of make any sense to how he's gonna like to his continuity later but at least it's interesting um so you know and i definitely should have seen that coming <laughs> i don't know why i didn't but maybe i just i don't know i wanted something to change but I, I, I'm pretty sure that the Gordon that we used to know and love is going to be the Gordon that we return to pretty quickly. I, you know, I, I certainly get where you're coming from, Dustin, uh, because it like makes me somewhat heartsick to read these interactions with them. I mean, Bruce was intentionally cruel the previous issue where he was telling Jim, yeah, why don't you look down that hole? And then he pushed that button and the bats came up and hit him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. And then just this entire interaction here and, and, just really making, I think, Jim feel how he felt as a little kid. I, I don't like their interactions whatsoever. And for me, that's more like a, a slap in the face for like the reader because you, you really love, you not only love, um, the, the, the Batman and, and Jim Gordon relationship, but I mean, further on down the line, you sort of start to enjoy the Bruce Wayne, Jim Gordon. So I almost feel like I'm I'm getting hit because, you know, I'm not seeing that interaction there. But I actually really am with Joe there because through that entire backflash and, you know, getting that trench coat and all of this stuff, I I really felt like even though Jim is in the car and he's going along with it, with what uh, Jim Corrigan is doing, that he's actually not taking part of it. Um, and, and I think we've seen in the past that James had to sort of suffer under this system until there was a chance that he could sort of ally with somebody and really take down the corruption that was within the cops and everything. And I think right now you see this um, really – this. Um, well, this human being, right, that he makes a mistake and, and you know, it, it only takes a good man to stand by and do nothing for, for there to be something bad. And, and that's really what he's doing right now is while Gordon may be a good person, he is just sort of letting Corrigan do whatever he wants. And I think that uh, we see that in other books as well. But I, I really feel like just as Joe thinks that we're, you know, in the next issue, maybe we'll see a turnaround. Probably won't be the next issue. But at least by the end of this story, we'll see some sort of turnaround. And I think everything will become clear. But just the more that it's dragged on, it really, like, pulls at my heartstrings because this is just, like, terrible interactions between the two. It's very bad. So Batman number 26, I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings. I agree, four out of five batterings. Um, I'm going to go a little bit lower uh, because, yeah, I just have problems with how huge the story has gotten and not the the the. The introductory sequence was a little confusing for me. Um, but, yeah, 3.5 out of 5 batterings. All right, and over on the website, Josh Clayton gave the issue 5 out of 5 batterings, so it's going to give Batman number 26 a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Nightwing number 26. Maybe you didn't get the memo, Oracle, but I've been going by Nightwing for, oh, about a decade or so. Nightwing number 26, written by Carl Higgins with art by Will Conrad. 
The issue opens with a pharmaceuticals robbery with a woman stealing a drug called Canium. The woman makes her way to the roof where she's met by Nightwing. After a short chase, the woman reveals herself to be Marley the Mimic, the annoying character from Nightwing number 19. Nightwing chases Marley across the Chicago skyline as she copies his moves and talks to herself. She reveals her new name as Marionette, but while she is distracted, Nightwing manages to get a hold of the bag full of canium. We cut to Dick, returning to his new apartment and has an awkward encounter with his roommates before we cut back to Marionette, who enters her own apartment, to meet her landlord and two toughs who confront her about her drugs and try to hold her there until the police arrive. She fairly easily takes him down and makes her escape to the roof. Another cut to Dick, who's just started a new job in a bar which is frequented by police, so we can get an inside look at the gang, at the goings-on in Chicago. We cut to Drex the Chemicals, where a shipment of canium is being delivered and Marionette is there waiting for it, but Nightwing is there waiting for her. The two start to fight, but are interrupted by gunfire. As they turn, they are faced by Mad Hatter and an army of slaves. So the first question I had to ask was about this Marley, the Mimic slash Marionette character, because I can't remember anyone liking her from Nightwing number 19. I wonder if you thought this was an improvement, uh, or how you took to her when you realised it was her steer behind this this uh, crime spree. You know, I don't remember necessarily not. Uh, I don't remember necessarily liking her either. Um, her power set, as far as the fact that she is a mimic, you know, that's not a bad power set to have. Um, but the way she was portrayed here, it almost came across as if she was basically becoming Nightwing's Catwoman. Um, she's, she's definitely got the aspect of being bad. The, there was even a scene where she was, when she was jumping over the building, the, her, the way her hood was over her head, it actually made it seem like she had the, the cat ears that Catwoman has. And I almost feel like this character, because she's not necessarily a bad character, she's just doing this to help herself, is going to end up becoming Nightwing's Catwoman. So, I, I don't think that, I don't think, I don't really have that many, I don't have any qualms with the way she was portrayed here in this issue, especially when it was revealed that the whole reason she's stealing this stuff is because that's what helps her control these other voices in her head or whatever. I mean, clearly she's got her issues, but I don't think she was written badly. Here's a true confession. I didn't even remember this character. <laughs> I was like, uh, well, thanks for the editorial note that, because when he first said, oh, it's her or, or it's you, whatever it was, I thought, I have no idea who this is. Um, to be honest, I have no idea what my comments were on Nightwing 19. She seemed like an okay character, a little bat, you know what, crazy. I don't really have like a, an affinity for her right now. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think it's a it's pushing it a little bit to say that it's going to be Nightwing's Catwoman. Um, just because, I, I don't know. It, it seems like, uh, it seems like one annoying character that popped up in Spider-Man, honestly, but this isn't a Spider-Man show, so I'll continue on the Batman. But I don't know, Bat, I guess I can see your Catwoman. But it, there's not really, I don't think there's going to be romantic tension. Are you, do you think there's going to be romantic tension, Dustin? No, not necessarily right away, but I mean, like, that's not to say it couldn't yeah. happen if they want to develop it down So the just the idea of, kind of constantly playing cat and mouse and the fact that um, there's mutual admiration, at least of their skills and everything. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can buy that. I guess I, it's just hard to see, like, the Batman Catwoman that we, we know and love of pre-New 52. Uh, so I, I don't really enjoy this character right now. I guess we'll see uh, once we continue on, but I honestly did not remember her from 19. I think it's actually really difficult to read because of this kind of internal, not internal monologue, but it's kind of conversation she's having with herself. I think it was slightly easier because at least we're aware of how she kind of talks in this issue. We had no sort of context for how to read her, but uh, I, yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, Dustin seems to be slightly more sympathetic towards her. I didn't get the impression that she was taking these drugs to kind of better her condition. I just assumed she was a junkie, but <laughs> if that is the intent, then I guess that uh, makes her slightly more sympathetic. Um, so it will be, I guess, interesting to see if that's if that's the route that's being taken, then I wouldn't mind it being explored more. The other thing um, I wanted to talk about briefly is, considering how much this storyline is going to change in a few months, does anyone else think it's strange that we're seeing so much development, like him moving to a new apartment, him getting this new job? I mean, he's already moved to Chicago, but kind of within this issue, we see a lot of progression of his character and him establishing himself more in the city. My 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 wondering of this has to do with really since we know that maybe maybe the reason why Dick Grayson wasn't in that Batman Eternal image is not because he's the blonde person, but because he realistically is not going to be part of what's going on. Uh, maybe he is going to stay in Chicago. I don't know how they're going to deal with the repercussions from Forever Evil within the pages of Nightwing, but uh, I think for the most part. It would be interesting to at least see the repercussions in Chicago of it being revealed that Dick Grayson is Nightwing. Um, it maybe wouldn't necessarily be so prominent with what's happening in Gotham, even though it would still be revealed and people would still know about it. Um, but maybe they're developing it so that they, so you feel a little bit more for when it could possibly be revealed. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not, I will say this. I like the fact that they're developing his world. I think that it's great that they're, you know, giving him a job, even if it is as a bartender. But, uh, I think for the most part, it's, they're doing, Kyle Higgins is doing a great job of building his universe. I don't really want to think about, think about it too much as to how it will all be affected come the end of Forever mm-hmm. Evil when they finally catch <laughs> up, because at this point, the stories are good. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, I'll just focus on the now instead of what could happen in the future. I guess the, you know, I, I feel like th- there's just been this missed opportunity because it shouldn't have been the future. Everything should have been running together right now. And it just seems such a, a change. Change isn't the word I want to say, but it, it's just so weird to have this mini series that's supposed to be very effective. And then we have the actual like character in his book and and nothing has been changed by what's going on in that miniseries and and that just i have a great um issue with that um you know one of the things i asked um Kyle in uh in San Diego was in fact you know are are we are you going to keep him in you know one sort of status quo for the foreseeable future because we started off you know of course we had the ch- the 
the train and hilly circus and now we've gotten here and it seems pretty stable and yeah we're building this cast up uh we even brought in this new mini character that i'm sure she won't last too long she'll probably go off on her own but I just don't like going from one thing to another, and I was starting to enjoy that. It was like a breath of fresh air being in a new place and him really getting his own feet under him and getting away under from Batman Shadow and things like that. And so to think that it could change is really disappointing for me. I like that because, remember, a lot of the things I said is like, oh, man, I really hope he gets his job back, you know, as a cop because that was just a great era of Dick Grayson. But I like that even though, you know, being bartenders, not being a cop, it's great because the whole reason that he took this job was to really have his ear to the ground and, and to listen because all these cops apparently come into this bar, so he's going to be able to uh, be appraised, apprised of all things that are going on, which I thought was really smart and clever. But thinking ahead to the future, I guess just like, like Dustin, it makes me uneasy, and I think everything should have been working together now. And if we're just going to be uprooted from this entire storyline at the end of Forever Evil, I'm actually going to be pretty upset. I understand Stella's kind of want for this to be tied in with Forever Evil. The only thing is that out of all the books that could and should be, Nightwing wouldn't actually work, I don't think, if it was in the same timeline, because it would just be seven months of Nightwing tied to a chair. Kind of going like, I want to get out of here. (laughs) Stella, if you haven't read the latest issue of Justice League, um, that's kind of where we start to see Nightwing's kind of being pulled into Forever Evil a bit more. So if you want to read some Nightwing in Forever Evil time period, you should read that. Alright, so Nightwing number 26. I thought this was an enjoyable issue. Four out of five batterings. I actually didn't like this, so I'll give it three. I'll, I'll go with Joe and say three as well. Alright, and over on the website, Josh also gave it four out of five batterings. So that's going to give Nightwing number 26 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book. Backroll number 26. I never fail to marvel at your narrow escape, sir. One female bat at a time. Backroll number 26. Backroll murder, part three. Ambush is the final countdown. Writer, Gail Simone. Pencils. Daniel Sampier. You know, I just want to know how to pronounce his last name. Inker, Jonathan Glapion, and Colors Blonde. Batgirl's narration gets us up to speed as the disgraced have Gordon outnumbered and ready to lose a few fingers. Batgirl makes a grand entrance by bursting through the front window on her cycle, sporting not one, not two, but three utility belts. It's true, people. She takes care of Gretel with some mini batarangs and mirror slash Gretel again with a concussive batarang. Gordon wants to call him back up, but Batgirl explains that there is a jammer blocking everything for blocks. She offers him one of her belts, but he doesn't take it and asks why he should even trust her. Batgirl flashes to a shot, Ricky bleeding out, and asks the same of Gordon. Bonebreaker calls Nightfall with an update, and Nightfall takes it as good news, since now the murder of Gordon can be pinned on her. Meanwhile, Gordon leads Batgirl to the basement, where he has tools of his own. Nightfall then calls Bleak Michael and tells him that under no circumstances is going to stay alive, and if his comrades fail, to burn the house 
down with them in it. Batgirl tells Gordon that she can't take all the disgrace on her own, but B- Gordon has some surprises of his own. So Batgirl throws some concussive batterings and blows the door to the basement, also knocking the power out somehow. Batgirl has speed, confusion, and surprise all on her side. She uses each of the disgraced and the small quarters against them. Gordon gets outside and catches Michael off guard while he is still on the phone. Knocking him out with a nightstick and shining a mini bat signal into the sky. Now available to order from the BatmanUniverse.net. Perfect stocking stuffer for all of your loved ones. Nightfall is still listening and realizes this is a lost cause and calls the disgraced away. They leave, carrying their fallen members, and Bonebreaker says that she's proud of how Babs has grown into a badass. Batgirl wants to go after them, but Gordon tells her not to press her luck. Then he pulls a gun on her, again accusing her of killing her son. Broken record? Broken record? She asks if he remembers everything, and he goes into a recap of the last few moments of that night. Gordon explains that there is a line, and he only tolerates the vigilantes in a city because they don't kill. Now there will be consequences. Batgirl presses him about the details of that night, specifically focusing on how James Jr. was about to kill his wife. She then tests him and tells him to shoot her if he really believes that she didn't do everything she could to save his wife. She then lays a low blow about Ricky, which makes Gordon feel guilt. Batgirl explains that he is human and flawed, and so is she. And she understands that he will not trust her unless there are no more secrets. And she removes her mask. He turns around and says he doesn't want to know, tells her he won't arrest her, but she is not welcome there. Uh, why was he planning to have her visit? Batgirl leaves, sad at the fact that she was ready to reveal herself to her father, and he didn't want to know. Gordon picks up a family photo. Then the governor, I mean James Jr., visits Nightfall, laughing at the fact that no one could kill his father if he couldn't. On her undamaged, how that happened, cycle, Batgirl gets a call from Ricky's mother, who says that Ricky is awake. And Babs realizes that she has the one thing she thought she lost. Hope. <laughs> Next, Batgirl and Gothtopia. There are three big points that I got here. First, what do you think about this fight with the Disgraced and the way it ended with them just walking out? Kind of anticlimactic, I'd say that. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, the, 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 the one thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that for whatever reason, uh, who is it, Bonebreaker or... Who's the girl who compliments? Yeah, Bonebreaker. I cannot recall. It was it was Bonebreaker. Okay, so Bonebreaker sits there and is like, "Oh well, Batgirl, it's so great that you've become a badass. I applaud you." And it's like, "Huh? Okay, you've hated this person through the entire run, but now suddenly because she's become a badass and took almost all of you out, or well, close to taking all of you out in this one issue, compared to." The fact that she's been slowly decimated by all of you in all of the previous issues, but now somehow she's able to take on all of you at once, and the only thing that James Gordon does is knock Michael or Mikkel or whatever you want to call him in the face with a, with, uh, with his billy club or whatever. The fact that that's all Gordon does and Batgirl goes against all these other people and she's so easily takes them, the majority of them out. And her, she chalks it up to, well, it's a small hallway, so they're limited as to what they can do. Well, then why didn't she think about getting them all into a small hallway anytime in the previous instead of out in the open? I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, 
it is really anticlimactic. You know, this big ending, they all get together. You know, Nightfall has brought them all together for this final showdown. And what does it end up? They, you know, the ones that can walk, load the other ones up on their shoulders and walk out. And Bonebreaker compliments Batgirl on becoming a badass. Really? That's what happens? Just like, it's like, this has all been building up to this, even though we never wanted to build up to this. The fact that all of these individual story arcs were focusing on these villains that, you know, in some way were affecting Batgirl to become this dark person that she's become. And then they all come together after we get a gazillion crossovers with Batgirl being involved in other things that have nothing to do with what she's what's happening in her own book. We finally get this to happen, and what happens? Nothing. She's able to basically match them in every way possible, even though it took her the most effort in the world to deal with just one of them or two of them in previous story arcs. So, I mean, like, it just just comes down to, it's like, what was the point of this? So they could call her a badass and walk out? It's like, why? I don't really have anything to add. I really, uh, you pretty much summed it up perfectly. Um, Yeah, it was just strange. It's kind of like this collecting of all the villains she's faced so far kind of feels like it's a a last issue kind of thing. And it's obviously not, because we'll never be rid of her. It was strange and, yeah, definitely... But then I I don't know what I was expecting. So I I think kind of the main point of the issue was to get Batgirl into her own house and kind of they did say throughout that we're not after you we're after Jim Gordon um, it's just strange that uh, they didn't try to you know kill two birds with one stone mm-hmm. yeah definitely anticlimactic is is what I would would say about it and it just seems like you know you're given this order and like everyone just leaves and they expect Batgirl to walk away from that it does seem like you know, all of a sudden we're we're saying cut on that and then moving to something else. And I feel like there is something much more that, that could have happened. I, I don't I can't really say what it could have been, but I just think like <laughs> it was just a terrible scene, like that's just so very bizarre. Um my next thing is is of course this Batgirl revealing herself or I guess trying to reveal herself to her father. So I mean talk about, you know, the outcome of it all. Uh, what do you think about it? its similarity to No Man's Land? Now, if you recall in Legends of the Dark Knight number 125, uh, actually one of my personal favorite stories from that entire thing is called Falling Back. Uh, I love how like the first five pages, uh, and it, it just to give like a little, you know, back, back story there, it's when basically, um, Batman and, and James Gordon finally see each other throughout this entire event after Batman had left. And the first like, three or four pages is completely silent. It's just them sort of like looking at each other and trying to figure out what to say. But in the end, like it really gets down to trust because James Gordon is really upset that Batman had left and, you know, he, he called him his friend and, you know, but you didn't trust me and, and I trusted you and all this stuff. And so Batman finally decided, you know, you're right. And the only way to make it up to you and the only thing I can offer is to reveal myself to you. And so he pulls off his, his cowl, but, but Gordon turns around and he says, no, please put it back back on. So, I mean, this is very similar to that. Um, obviously, she's trust is a big theme in Batgirl in this particular issue. So just your thoughts on, on this entire theme and are you okay with it sort of uh, pulling from No Man's Land? 
I'm not okay with them pulling it from No Man's Land because I really enjoyed No Man's Land and I don't enjoy this at all. <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost positive we called this months ago that the only way this could get resolved is if she pulled off her mm-hmm. mask and re- revealed herself. Uh, the twist is that she didn't actually reveal herself because Gordon doesn't want to know who she is. Um, which to me, I don't really understand the idea behind it of why he wouldn't want to know. Like, in No Man's Land is explained perfectly. There's no reason he needs to know who Batman is. Here, he, he goes on and on about how, well, you're not off the hook and I'm not going to arrest you, but you're not off the hook because you killed my son, da 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 da. It's like, this is Gordon being like at his extreme, like the extreme of him being just like holding a grudge and overlooking so many things as she points out herself. But why was it never pointed out before? Why is she the one who has to explain how Gordon is the one who, who's overlooking all of these other details? But she's the one who decided not to be backroll because of it. That's what I'm not understanding here. She, she suddenly is okay with being backroll. And she's okay with revealing herself to her father and explaining to her father, well, don't you think that I did everything that was possible to save your ex-wife? You know, she was an innocent, blah, blah, blah. Do you really think that I did I did that on purpose? I tried to kill him on purpose? Well, if you didn't, then why do we spend so many issues with you harboring this guilt of killing your brother if you didn't do it on purpose? Like... There's there's a huge problem with the fact that she's been she has sat here and been portrayed as this person who, you know, okay yes she accidentally killed her brother and she can have guilt for for that that's understandable but giving up being Batgirl because she accidentally did something and has no problem throwing out every single possibility reason possibility and reason of why she did what she did to Gordon to basically excuse herself of it. But she couldn't excuse herself of these things with the same exact reasons. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, um, I actually quite liked it, and I liked the reveal just because um, we've said quite a few times in since we've been reading New Fifty Two books, like you know, what is the state of between Gordon and and Batman? Like, does he know? Does he not know? Why doesn't he know if he doesn't? And I, I felt that even though it was in this book, at least someone finally addressed it. It's a shame that it had to kind of rip off, I guess. Uh, maybe it was an homage, but rip off, uh, that. This is not an homage. This is an homage. Uh, I wanna, I wanna slap somebody in the face. I'll just say that. <laughs> it's a shame that it riff, ripped off that moment so much, but like I said, I feel like at least it addressed that situation. Um, the only other thing is what Dustin was saying is this kind of, it feels like we skipped an issue or some kind of, uh, like an issue's worth of Batgirl kind of turning it around and coming to terms with what she did. And it's like she had to, it's not, cause it doesn't feel like she's, um, realizing as she's saying it to her dad. It's kind of like, you know, I, she's, she's run through all of that in her head countless times and is then presenting it to, Gordon saying like this is what happened. Yeah, it feels it definitely feels like something's been missed or skipped uh, for her to get to this place where she can say this and you know like you know where she's can put the back costume on again. The whole point like it's so strange that we went for a few issues with her. It's like I'll never put it on again and you know like but yeah, there were moments that I didn't like like the you know 
pull the trigger. We both know you can do it. But you know, I, I think it's kind of comes down to Gordon wanting to be obligate. Uh, I don't think obligatory is the right word. Um, oblivious uh, to the whole situation, so that he doesn't get involved and doesn't have to know, and then isn't part of it because there are so many clues pointing to his own daughter that it's ridiculous he doesn't know but I guess kind of touching upon that shows that he he doesn't want to know and that's why he doesn't I don't know how this like resolves her idea of uh, whether she should be back or not at all Uh, in my opinion um, her her arguments uh, aren't really sound the one thing that really struck me was just her quote you know shoot me if you think I didn't do everything to save your wife. And saving his wife is not the issue that they're going up against because that makes it seem as if she's dead and that's the reason why he hates her so. But the fact of the matter is she should have said, shoot me if there, if I didn't do everything other than, you know, kill James, which is, I, I would say for the most part is true that, that certainly that was like the, the last moment she realized, like, that I have to do this, unfortunately. But, you know, she sort of went through all the other options. But it just seems like everything is just, it, it really is just too much. It's just very overdramatic. Um, I can definitely get this trust thing. I think if you would have built this, if, I mean, if we're going to um, use Dark Knight or Legends of the Dark Knight 125 as our template then why not just go all out because trust is we just ended it like we brought up trust i realize you won't trust me until you know who i am and that was it but i think that's really the underlying that's like the whole thing of the argument and it only popped up at the end but just the words that she's saying don't really make sense to me at you know forcing him to to hold that gun to her chest and everything is just like, oh, what does that mean? Telling her that she's not welcome anymore, that sort of sent off a little red light for me because it's not like she's ever going to visit him in that house. It almost feels like he really was talking to Barbara at that time and saying you're not welcome here. And then, of course, he picks up that picture, so I do wonder if if he knows. But, um, you know, these three parts... And, and of course, with James Jr. and everything, it just seems like th- this wasn't the best ending that it could have been, and it, it really did fall flat. My uh, final comment is just where do we go from here? Um, not only with Babs and her father, what are your thoughts on that, but also James Jr. reappearing. Uh, do you think it was just, hey, let's throw him in here because Nightfall was involved with her father, um, and, you know, we won't really see him again, or do you think he'll be a bigger player yet again and he'll reveal himself? I think that's the, the resol- if we really wanted to get true resolution for this, this Batgirl wanted story, even though this is touted, at, or touted as the, the conclusion of the Batgirl wanted story, James needs to reappear. Gordon needs to get over the fact, you know, just completely get over the idea that Batgirl killed him. Even if it was just he sees him because he's doing some sort of crime, Gordon comes in contact with him, he realizes that maybe he didn't really over, he overthought the whole thing with Batgirl and just kind of forgives it at that point. That's the only thing that I can really see because if they just threw James in there to throw him in there so that he would be there because he's had this weird tie with Nightfall in the past, even though it hasn't been shown in forever and it was showed very briefly in the beginning. 
for the most part, I don't really feel like there would be a whole lot of, like, yes, if you're not reading Suicide Squad, you don't know that James Jr. Mm-hmm. is still alive. So maybe that's the reason why he was thrown in here was because they're trying to make sure, let you know as the reader that he's not dead. Because I don't think this actually happened in the pages of Batgirl as of now or as of, as of current uh, books outside of this issue. I don't think it's ever been revealed that he's not actually dead because Batgirl even thinks he's dead. So I think maybe that's the reason why he was thrown in was because of that was because if you're not reading Suicide Squad, you don't pay attention to everything else that's happening. You would have no idea that that actually did occur, you know, that he's still alive. So maybe that's why it happened. Although it happened months and months ago in the pages of Suicide Squad. So here, it just comes across as, for those of us who know that he's not dead, it just comes across as an odd placement of randomly popping up. But I can understand why it was there. Um, future for, for Batgirl and Jim Gordon, um, I don't really know, you know, when Stella, when you were talking about kind of the red light that popped up, I almost had to, want, you know, I, I kind of like thought about that sequence again, and I was wondering to myself, you're right. Gordon would never be telling Batgirl, you're not welcome in my house ever again, because how often does Batgirl hang out at Gordon's house? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so that could just be poor writing on the part of, um, on, uh, on the part of Gail Simone, which wouldn't be the first time. So I can, I might be able to chalk it up to that. The fact that he grabs the, uh, the picture after the fact, again, it, it kind of hints at maybe he does know who it is. But then again, if he knows all along who Batgirl is without having to actually look at her while her call's off, then how, like, that, that, there's a lot of problems with past issues, which again, wouldn't be the first time that's happened. Who can forget the, uh, the time she bursts into her, therapist's office and is like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I even drink coffee. And her therapist's like, what? You don't drink coffee? But yet you go back four issues and she's ordering coffee when she's with Elisa at a diner. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add, actually. It was more just, uh, I agree, the only the only reason I could see James Gordon being in there was kind of like a, oh, look, he's still alive. But obviously he's someone who's kind of aware of the goings on. It, it wasn't a surprise. Um, I'm not sure how many people would be shocked by that or not, but I think it was definitely just, uh, you know, everyone, if you didn't know, he's alive. Yeah, that's the only other thing. Um, and then I kind of touched upon uh, Gordon and Barbara in my last comment. For me, I think that Babs and her father, uh, because I, I don't really think that the issue is going to be Batgirl and Jim Gordon anymore. Um, I mean, they're still going to have issues, but I'm really wondering what's going to happen with Babs and her father. And I think that in the back of his mind, he somehow knows, and obviously she's been there as two different people, so she's really going to carry that impact, and I think that this is really going to threaten their relationship. It's already been strained, but now it's even worse, uh, and this, of course, saddens me because, again, this is one of the best relationships that we've had. Um, held witness to in Premier 52. Uh, James Jr. appearing, you know, I'm glad that he did. I, I'm hoping that he at least reveals himself somehow. I don't think it's going to be soon. I think that maybe this was just an appearance, but he'll come back for a bigger storyline because I feel like Nightfall and the Disgrace, it's not over. And then maybe there'll be, maybe his father will see and then there'll be some sort of reconciliation, but I don't think it's on the horizon right now. 
um, because he's got his other duties to do, you know. But um, you know, it just seems it, it seems like the the book is still in like a bleak direction, even though this should have been able to resolve things and sort of move forward. So this again goes back to my point when we were talking about Eternal, because it seems like Eternal is going to be a great Babs, and we're going to be here, and there are going to be all these issues, and I guess she'll just fall into her relationship with Ricky, and that's what we can have to look forward to. All right, so back row number 26, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. I'll give this three out of five batterings. Um, I will also give this a, a, a three. All right, so that's going to give back row number 26 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Forever Evil Arkham War number three. I'm necessary evil. Forever Evil Arkham War number three, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Scott Eaton. The issue opens with Mr. Freeze and Mad Hatter preparing to reanimate the Talons, but they find one missing. We then jump to Killer Croc and Scarecrow emerging from the sewers. Croc carries Scarecrow into Wayne Tower and up to the head office, where Scarecrow announces that the building is now Croc's, is now Croc's territory, and that he needs him in this tactical, in this tactical position. Meanwhile, mercenaries and Gotham's, and Gotham's criminals are in an all-out war in the streets, but amidst the carnage, Bane shows up, takes down Ogilvy and removes him from the battlefield. We cut to Penguin, with Ogilvy lying unconscious on his desk. Thanks to the favour, Penguin calls him and Bane even, but Bane demands the whereabouts of the talents. Penguin hands over the information as well as some advice, saying that after going through so much, Gotham's villains will never be afraid of Bane. He's not Batman. So after a light bulb dings above Bane's head, he goes to a warehouse and starts to construct his Batman costume. Uh, we then cut to Croc in Wayne Tower, who's trying to rally an army when Batbane comes crashing through the window, beats down Croc and hurls him from the roof, leaving him free to take down what's left of Gotham's freaks. I think we kind of talked last week, last month about Bane's plan to take down all the kind of the 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 freaks, I guess, the costumed villains of Gotham, which he's so fed up with. And I've forgotten if that was more because of what Dustin was saying about reading Talon, or if it did come from Forever Evil, uh, the Arkham War. But it's it's really kind of starting to show up in this series. Um, do you guys kind of see any hypocritical nature, I guess, about Bane having to kind of dress up as Batman to do so? If you remember the... the well, again, I don't remember if this was in Talon or Forever Evil, but basically when Bane comes to Gotham, it's because he's determined that that Batman cannot end the crazies run on Gotham, and that's why he's going there, to eliminate them. It had nothing to do with whatever was going to happen in Forever Evil when he said he was going to Gotham. It said he was going to Gotham because he said that Gotham had fallen, and he had every intention of fixing it. So... To him, he's becoming bat, or you know, he's donning the the Batman mask because he knows that these criminals fear Batman. Um, and as it's pointed out in this issue, they don't fear him. So for them, what the whole point of what they're what's what's occurring is that you know he's you know we we've known the bat- Bane has always had a mutual respect for Batman and what Batman is and what it stands for. It's just Bane doesn't necessarily agree with Batman's ways. So 
in some ways I can, I can completely understand why he puts the mask on to strike that fear into these other people. But at the same time, it is a little bit of an overkill because he should be able to just do what he needs to do without needing to don this mask. But it's almost like he's doing it for himself and not necessarily for the fear that it's going to strike in the other villains. You know, it was an interesting turn. I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if I could call it hypocritical or not, but I think he just sort of realized uh, where it was, uh, you know, (laughs) what was needed to sort of get the job done. And uh, he even had this, uh, who was taunting him that saying, you know, about Batman? can't remember what villain was taunting him about. Was it Penguin? So, I mean, I think he just realized that, that he had to do that, but I think, you know, a better way and to show his own strength of character would have been like, well, forget that. I mean, I'm Bane and sort of create that himself. But it was, it was certainly an interesting turn to see that he just like went right in there, started making his own stuff and then, and then put that on. It was a very strange kind of series of events that happened in the middle of this book when they were all, all the bat, the villains were fighting where it was kind of, Clayface would stop, like, he'd defeat someone, stop, and be like, haha, I've just done this, and then Ogilvy would cut off his sentence by freezing him and saying, that's the thing I don't get about you costume freaks, you always stand around after you defeat someone and talk, um, why don't you ever get on with it? And then, like, he gets cut off by poison ivy, he chokes him out with a vine, and she's like, yeah, well, maybe you should think about that before the, before the next time you, and then she gets stopped by Bane, I think it was, and, like, for a few pages, it was just kind of the same joke going on and on. It was really strange. Yeah, I mean, this is starting to, I guess, ramp up, but it's definitely not tying into Forever Evil. And they even make a note of that in that, you know, this crime syndicate has seemed to have forgotten about our city. Maybe they just don't want it, um, which I guess leaves the room for them to do whatever they want in it. Um, but this kind of seems like an interesting, and I guess, it's potentially what they were going for anyway, but it seems like a potential storyline on its own. And um, it's interesting that they tied it into this event. Um, I guess the only thing that it's done is potentially boost sales, though, so it's not really a complaint. It's not... I'm not uh, totally enamored by it, but I definitely think that it's an interesting premise. All right, so Forever Evil Arkham War number three, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I agree. Three out of five veterans. And I'll third it. Uh, three out of five. And over on the website, Corbin gave the issue three out of five batarangs as well. So that's going to give Forever Evil Arkham Ward a total of three out of five batarangs. So that is all of our books. Uh, before we move on to Bat Books for Beginners, I do want to remind everybody that uh, even though the .5 cast, as I mentioned, is on hiatus for the time being, there are a number of other books that's we are currently reviewing on the website that you should take a look at. Uh, so what I wanted to do real quick was just run through some of the reviews on the website and tell you what the ratings were, so that way maybe you could head over to the website, take a look at the actual ratings uh, for some of these books, um, t- or take a look at some of the reviews for some of these books, and then get an idea of maybe some of the other books that we aren't covering here that maybe you should pick up and give a chance. Okay, so for these, we're gonna we're actually gonna head all the way back to the beginning of November because some of these books would be uh, would have been covered on the point five cast for November. 
So uh, first up, uh, we do have a review, Forever Evil. Joe actually reviewed that book and gave it a three and a half out of five. This is Forever Evil number three. Um, Batman Superman number five was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it a three out of five bad rings. Batwing number 25 was reviewed by Benjamin, and he gave it a three and a half out of five bad rings. Uh, Batman Little Gotham chapter number 21 got three out of five bad rings, and chapter 22 got three and a half out of five bad rings. That was reviewed by Derek. Red Hood and the Outlaws number 25 uh, received two, and a, two out of five bad rings by Adam. Harley Quinn number zero got four and a half out of five bad rings reviewed by Benjamin. Beware the Batman number two got two and a half out of five bad rings reviewed by Chris. Batman Little Gotham chapter 23 got three and a half out of five bad rings reviewed by Derek. Batman Superman number six got two out of five batterings reviewed by Corbin. Batwing number 26 got four and a half out of five batterings. And those are all the reviews we have on the website. So definitely check out some of those books that definitely have some higher ratings, um, especially if you're looking for something else to pick up. So with that, we're going to go, we're going to throw it over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm that English guy, John. I do apologise that I missed last episode. I'm currently in the process of having my room redecorated, which means that I can't actually access any of my comics. However, I've managed to get hold of the Batman Volume 1 of No Man's Land, and it means that I am back providing reviews for this episode and for the future. So, in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at Legends of the Dark Knight 118, Shadow of the Bat 86, and Batman 566. These stories are written by Greg Rucker, Lisa Klink, and Kelly Puckett. It features art by Jason Pearson, Guy Davis, and John Bogdanove. Legends of the Dark Knight opens with the story of Batman being narrated to some children by Alfred. He explains the night left due to No Man's Land, and the children keep interrupting him to criticise Batman. He continues the tale, talking about the squire, Alfred, in the story who was preparing for his return. And it also explains what Alfred was doing during No Man's Land. It transpires that he knew Batman had returned when he tried to fight a slave gang. Only he ended up having to be rescued by Batman. And the issue ends with Alfred returning to Batman to continue planning his expansion with him. Shadow of the Bat is entitled Home Sweet Home. It opens with Batgirl trying to stop some fighting. However, she is forced to withdraw and Zaz's gang retake a block. We then move to Sergeant William Riley, who chases off a guy who wants to tag his house. We then see him moving into the building and marrying his wife in a flashback. It then cuts back to him being taken 
spies as his gang and put in front of the gang leader of the block, who demands that he hands over his food as a tribute. William does so, but it transpires that rather than destitute him and force him onto the generosity of others as the gang had planned, he in fact has a secret stash due to the design of the house. He also shares out this food with other people. It then cuts back to his war experiences and talks about how it's similar to the events going on at the moment. We watch as the blocks change hands and two gang members enter the house. They threaten to shoot William. However, before that happens, they are attacked by two of the Joker's gang and killed. The Joker arrives and expresses his admiration for William and takes his souvenir, his gun, from him. And the issue ends with William saying that everything will just carry on as it always has. Batman 566 finally sees the arrival of Superman. He rescues an engineer before encountering Batman, who tells him to leave. However, Superman refuses, and Batman says that he has 24 hours to try and help. He and the engineer begin to work on restoring power to Gotham. He takes out Mr. Freeze, who is trying to tap the power to control the city himself, whilst at the same time, the engineer discovers that he is incredibly over his head as people start begging him to restore the power, and they begin to offer their services to him such as food, and Superman is shocked at this behaviour. He meets Batman at the end of this and tells him that he was right, that the people weren't ready for it, and Superman says that he doesn't know when they will be, and Batman says that he hopes one day they will. So that's everything for those issues. They are quite short, and I'm not going to lie, to be honest, not really that much happens within them. However, I did think, actually, they were all quite good. I liked the Legends of the Dark Knight, which was, whilst being rather childish and I wasn't a fan of the artwork, was actually quite an interesting way of telling the story and imagining what was going on and that Alfred's using his experiences to create these stories for these children, which he's doing on behalf of Batman and for Leslie. And it also explains what he was doing in those situations. And it kind of in a lot of scenes shows that Alfred's not really sitting down and taking it all in and allowing it to unfold before him he's actually going out there and helping and he's been shaped by his time with Batman and with Bruce as well but ultimately it also shows how reliant he is on Batman as well he wasn't able to take out that slave gang at all on his own he needed Batman there to do it as well and it shows this nice interdependency on the two of them which i thought was rather good i wasn't a fan of the artwork it was very cartoonish very stylized perhaps that was probably the start that they're going for they're telling a story to kids so they want to have that kind of style within the storyline however for me it doesn't really work my favorite out of all of these stories is by far home sweet home I like the fact that we're seeing how things are going in Gotham from the ordinary citizen's point of view. We're seeing how different people are reacting. And that also happens in Batman 566. But in this story, it happens to a much greater extent. I actually quite liked the character of William Riley. I thought he was rather interesting. I thought his character development was quite nice. And it was it told a story really well in a very short space of time. 
it kind of almost felt like the beginning 15 20 minutes of up where we see his life changing and and moving along and how that changes over time and i kind of got the same sense of feeling that that was what was happening in this one as well and i thought that was really nice it was nice as well to see that he's not cowed by it he's not terrified by it and he's drawing on his experiences from his life as most people would do you always see in the in the films and and in television programs people drawing on those life experiences to help them survive and to carry on the best example of that is probably the characters in the walking dead they're all drawing on their different experiences and that felt the same in this storyline as well finally batman 566 it was good for what it was it told a simple story which was superman returning i didn't really like the fact that superman saw how bad the city had got and gone went Uh, well i can't really help anybody here i'm gonna leave now that doesn't strike me as a great understanding of superman's character i think he would have made much more effort to try and hang around and much more effort to stay as well i thought that was rather disappointing i actually thought the more interesting storyline in this was the story of the engineer to be honest i thought that was the the more interesting and i think actually it would have been nice to see that as an individual storyline that he manages to restore this power with superman's help superman goes away and we actually see this engineer try and cope and and deal with the pressures of being somebody who can control the power and bring power to people's houses and what people will do to to control that and how an ordinary person would perhaps deal with that pressure and perhaps collapse under that pressure as well and i thought that would have been a very interesting way to see it so overall i'm actually going to do these issues four out of five batarangs i thought to be honest all of them were pretty good and well worth picking up and reading and they're definitely worth it within this volume as well so that's everything for this episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I've been your host, John. Thanks once again for listening. Next episode, we finish off Batman Volume 1 with the final three issues, and I'll also give a review of the entire volume as well and give you my opinion on whether it's worth buying or whether it's something that's worth missing. So, as I said, I've been your host, John, and now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Thanks for listening. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners for this episode. Uh, be sure to check out the individual feed for Bat Books for Beginners, as well as leave reviews on iTunes for the feed, and leave your comments in the episode posts for Bat Books for Beginners on the website. With that, we're going to get straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> We're going to cover not only the comments left on the last episode, but also the last .5 episode. But first, we're going to start with a email that was sent in. Charlie says, Hey, the Batman Universe crew, are there any Batman villain or hero team-ups, either old or New 52, that you would like to see? It can be either just Batman characters teaming up or them with other DCU characters. Personally, I would love to see Ra's al Ghul, Poison Ivy team-up. 
They almost have the exact same goals in the long run to eliminate most of humanity and return it to the natural world to its pre-industrial state. I don't recall them ever interacting much, so it could be something new and fresh. Plus, I can see them having some amount of mutual respect for one another. Plus, I'd imagine Ivy would be interested in Lazarus pits as they could probably help with plant growth. I would also like to see all of Bruce's ex-girlfriends getting together just to call him out on all his bull****. The guy has it coming. Either they end up leaving him because they discover his secret identity, or they die. The word has to spread that he is a relationship poison. Thanks for reading, and have a great one. Charlie. Well, um, as far as a team-up that I'd like to see, you know, one of the things we don't see that often is Batman teaming individually up with certain members of the of the Justice League. We see him team up with Superman a lot. Uh, even to some degree, we see him with Wonder Woman a lot. But some of the characters that I'd like to see him interact specifically within this New 52 universe is I'd love to see him re- uh, interact with the Flash, uh, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman. Like, if you had, like, a couple one-off stories where it's just Batman helping these other characters out with some sort of case or whatever that they have. And they, they bring Batman in because he's this, you know, the world's greatest detective. I think it would be really cool to see that, especially flash and Batman. I'd love to see those two interact more. Um, now that's not to say they haven't in the past, but outside of the pages of justice, I'd love to see those two just react because um, we have that forensic background that we see with flash and then we have the detective elements that Bat, uh, the Batman has. So I think those two would be a really cool combination. I also like to see Batman kind of interacting with more of the Justice League on a one-to-one basis, kind of like a Brave and the Bold type thing. Um, I just I'm not sure if it's going to work in this kind of New Fifty Two. Everything's got to be dark and gritty tone. Um, I wish it did, like, but uh, you know, if it, if they could make it work, then it would be really fun to see that. Um, you know, some Batman and is going to have uh, some of that coming up in the future, which will be interesting, and I hope it works. Um, as for team ups that have happened in the past, uh, I've got a few of. Uh, I know Dustin might not necessarily like them, but um, of uh, Doug Murch and, and Kelly Jones when they teamed up Batman with Deadman, I always really enjoy those team ups. Um, so uh, that's one that could potentially work because of the potentially darker storyline that would happen with that. But, um, yeah, that, that's one of the teams up that I have enjoyed over the years. But, uh, it would be nice if we could get a Brave and the Bold type thing going in the new 52. You know, in my, in my defense, I just want to say I actually enjoyed that Batman, Dead Man story. I didn't like the art in it at all, but the story itself I, I enjoyed. And, uh, even Batman, when he has teamed up with Deadman in uh, other incarnations, such as Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, more recently, I think those two, that's again, it's another one of those really interesting reaction, uh, interactions between the two characters, and it's portrayed really well in Batman Brave and the Bold, the TV series, but that specific series that Joe is, is mentioning, I actually did enjoy it, I just wasn't a fan of the art. I cannot like art and still enjoy story. Cool. He's just defending himself. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the defense for this entire episode. But that's well, okay. and so you should after what you put me through the other episode. Um, Let me think about, you know, I would love to see Batman uh, team up with his past 
and present family members in a better and more positive way than we had when obviously Robin had died. But it would just be interesting to, to I really just want the family back together, you know, not to be the female of the of the cast here, but I think it's time that we, we put this stuff aside. I'd love to see him team up with Batwoman because I feel like really the interactions they they've had haven't I don't really I, I don't want to say they haven't had any, but the ones that they've had, like he's not very trusting of her and doesn't really think of her um as being a part of that that family and i think that would could be interesting um trying to think of like interesting it'd be cool to see batman to get what what's weird though is i thought this question was just like any sort of team-ups because that person put Roz and uh ivy together uh no it'd be really cool to see batman i think with uh, a different villain uh i don't know what the circumstance would have to be but wouldn't it be cool to see him team up with somebody and then of course at the end he'd probably have to lock him up um, trying to think here. Trying to think of cool characters that we've not seen. Love Wildcat. I miss seeing him. A lot of JSA. I mean, you guys were saying JLA, but there are a lot of really awesome JSA members that we've seen neither hide nor hair of uh, in New 52. And I just think that would be awesome if we want to continue this Brave and the Bold uh, business. But I guess I'll just stop there. All right, so next we're going to move into the comments from episode 126.5. Uh, first off, Dalen says, FYI, Brian, uh, as I was pronouncing it, Brian Bucciletto is pronounced Bucciletto. So I apologize for pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, next up, Terry says, just a quick thought since you asked what made this issue of, or what I made of this issue of talent. The only way I can make sense of this issue in light of previous issues and what is going on in Ark Moore goes back to the fast airplane in issue 11 when the people who came to rescue Kelvin tell him that they will be in Santa Prisca to Gotham within an hour. My only supposition is that Kelvin simply gets to Gotham much quicker than Bane and his army could have, at least a few days I assume since they are coming by boat, which puts this issue as happening before issue 1 of Ark Moore. That does make sense, um, especially with... Uh, the fact that they are in a plane and Bane is coming by boat. Um, as far as future issues of town leading up to what's eventually going to happen, it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens because we know Tinian's off the book after this month. Uh, Bennett is doing a book, uh, one-off issue where it focuses on a talent set in the 1920s, I believe, or 1930s. And after that, then we have this two-part uh, story focusing on Calvin seeking out Lord Deathman and then the series is over. So maybe the reason why the series is ended is because it would be too hard to explain how all of this stuff related to Bane was happening in the series, and then it just up and up left. Um, taking Talon outside of Gotham City, as we know will eventually happen when he goes to seek out Lord Deathman, that would explain there then why he's not around when Bane eventually gets to Gotham. So... Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. All right, so then moving into the comments on episode 127. First off, Terry says, Hey guys, I just wanted to say really quickly that when I first heard about five years later, my initial thought was what Stella's Nightmare Scenario was. I immediately interpreted it as moving their whole continuity five years into the future. The main reason I thought this is because Forever Evil is shaping up to be this huge paradigm shift in continuity, but very few titles, Batman or otherwise, are dealing with the events. The best potential example of this is that Nightwing has been featured in a fairly prominent way in Forever Evil, but we have yet to see the consequences exactly. of that in the Nightwing yep. title. 
Batman has an out in that he is doing this zero-year story set in the past, but most other titles don't have that excuse. So I thought that the whole idea of five years later would would be to move all of the titles to another common time frame where they could all be on the same page as it applies to the aftermath of Forever Evil. I don't know that that's what any of us want, but that was the first thing of what I thought of. Well, I will say that, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier. Um, it is uh, the potential of what they are going for. I do have to wonder a couple of different things kind of pertaining to this specific comment. Um, Batman Eternal, how long is are, are they actually planning on running the series for? Is this like an indefinite, or are they going to run this for a year? Um, similar to what they've done with some of the other weekly series, where we've get, we get 52 weeks of this weekly series, and then they end it. I, I don't really know what their, their overall plan is. It really just feels like I'm swimming in an ocean of DC Comics, don't really know what's going uh, going on. Um, with the whole thing with, with that's that's happened with uh, Nightwing, you know, we talked about that earlier, how eventually uh, the issue that for, when Forever Evil ends in the comics, the issue of Nightwing actually picks up to the end. Um, we'll get to a comment in a second from somebody else explaining their their understanding of why this happens. But for the most part, it just comes down to poor timing. I feel that's what I that's my only I, that's the only thing I can really chalk it up to. Unless this is planned perfectly, it is going to be really tough to keep this going for more than a year. Uh, I mean, fifty two and and countdown. I think everything and Trinity after that, everything had to be set up so that there were no delays or anything. And it is, I mean, I know you hate talking about Marvel and stuff, but it is extremely hard to keep, you know, that Amazing Spider-Man book on track. And that's three weeks. That's every three weeks. So th- this is, I don't know, to, to think that this would go on for more than a year and, and it's every week, I just can't see that happening, especially with problems that DC has already had, not only with artists, but um, writers as well, sort of staying on track. All right. And then uh, moving on to the next comments, uh, comments from the former co-host known as oh Donovan says... My immediate thought is that this world would force Tim Drake to be in his early to mid-20s. That's an interesting concept, but at the same time, he'll probably end up more like the Red Robin persona he had at the end of his pre-New 52 title. Uh, then the podcast co-host formerly known as Donovan goes on to say, Also, here's a thought. Anyone else reminded of Young Justice Season 2 when they did this? Not suggesting that DC is copying one of the previous media franchise. Okay, yes I am, since they have shown... It's to have a history of doing so. The difference being that season one of Young Justice showed the origins of the characters and the current new 52 isn't. All right. So in relation to that, what Don's referring to, if you don't know what he's talking about, Young Justice, the TV show, season one took place at a set time frame and then season two immediately jumped five years into the future and slowly revealed some of the secrets of what happened during that five year time frame. So basically that's what Don is suggesting DC could be doing because they've done this in the past using media franchises to get ideas from. Um, in relation to Tim Drake, I don't really, I don't really know. Uh, I don't immediately think to myself, hmm, Tim Drake would be in his early to mid twenties. So that, that will make the character different. Um, I honestly would have a problem with them taking just this idea that they're going to take everything five years into the future, because that's a pretty big change. Now, what I would say, though, is 
that if it was five years from the beginning of the new 52 and they wanted to do this, I'd be okay because they had five years to basically set this up. Taking it five years into the future, you're looking at a completely different time frame. You can tell completely different stories, even some stories that could never have been told pre-New 52 because of the age of the characters and how the age of characters doesn't really ever progress that rapidly as we can go 25 years and the characters maybe have one birthday. So um, it could be interesting, but I think it's too soon for something like that to occur this early with this this reboot, whatever they want to call it, of the new 52. All right, and then finally, the last comment comes from Wendell. He says, guys, everything but Forever Evil and its tie-ins are happening before Forever Evil happened. And besides that, DC has already come out and said that you will see a lot of the repercussions from Forever Evil as the books catch up to the end of the event. They didn't want to, they did it that way to give people time to finish storylines before repercussions kick in. Well, Wendell, I don't know exactly where DC said that. I'd like to know where they said that. I'm not saying that you're incorrect because at the same point, like I said earlier, I've heard Kyle Higgins say specific things about what's going to happen in the future with Nightwing due to the repercussions of what's happening in Forever Evil. But I don't actually recall DC ever saying that. The other thing that I find odd is DC, the money bank that they, or the money hounds that they are trying to get as much money as they can by having these crossovers at this point every other <laughs> month, um, at, at least in the Batman universe. These, these, uh, crossovers that they're having, I don't know why in the world they wouldn't want to have all of these titles that specifically deal with characters, specifically I'm going to call out Nightwing, why they wouldn't want Nightwing to tie into whatever's happening in Forever Evil so that they could slap the Forever Evil banner on the top of it and get more people to buy the title. To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, the idea of they, they're they trying to give people a way to finish their storylines that, to me, doesn't make any sense, because how many times do we see the storylines cut in the middle with a crossover? Let's think. Um, we can go back to August, where a storyline could be in the middle of any of the number of books we cover here around the Point Five cast, Birds of Prey, Batwing, um, Detective Comics. They're cut short by the events of Villains Month. We have to wait a month for that to happen. It eventually happened. We, we pick back up in October, um, and then, oh, wait. We get cut off again by the events of what's happening with Zero Year. Then we pick back up with the story, and then wait, oh, January rolls around, and, ha and some of these books are also tying in with Gothiopia. So, yeah. Um, thinking that they did this so that people could finish their storylines doesn't make any sense. It almost feels like that would be the worst reason of why they would be doing it. Um, you know, in some ways, I can, I can see the reason of why they would want to hold the titles to do this, but for continuity's sake, it's not, it hasn't been explained well enough. If they've gone out there and I've had tons of writers talking about, oh, well, this is good. This is happening like this because of that. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a whole lot of anything regarding what's happening in Forever Evil regarding these other titles and why we're not seeing the stuff happen. I'm not doubting that at some point someone has said something about, well, the reason why this is happening is because of this. But I haven't seen a whole lot of that, and as someone who doesn't pay attention to the overall DC universe that much, pays specific attention to the Bat universe, and then we have these major crossover events that are, again, told to be these, you know, uh, universe-changing events, 
and I pick them up and I start reading them and I'm thinking to myself, wait, this is a universe changing event. Why doesn't this hat, why is this not being addressed in any of these other titles? That's my problem. And I know I'm not the only person out there who has that problem. No, I complain about it every, <laughs> every cast, basically. I will, yeah, I, I know I said it in a kind of joking way, but I am serious about it. I don't think it would work though in Nightwing because, like I said, this is, this event, this Forever Evil is going on seven months. And I, like, for some of the books, then yeah, they definitely could have tied it in. Um, like I said, Batman wouldn't work because, you know, it's set in the past anyway. But Nightwing, it really would just be him. Unless, you know, something changes in, in a few, in the next issues of, uh, Forever Evil. But at the moment, he is just trapped in their lair in Happy Harbor, tied to a chair. Do you think it could have been possible to, to cut all this stuff down? Like, even when we're doing, um, the Arkham War, I was thinking to myself, man, is this dragging? Could they have, like, cut this out of, you know, seven and done it in three? Do you think they could have made Forever Evil into a weekly series to get it over with quickly and to have things actually tie in in the timeline? Or do you well, think that just would not have worked? Consistent because it would have to have been written way in advance and then drawn, you know, you'd end up having a different artist for every issue or something. Well, see, if DC plans stuff as far in advance as you would think they would with some things, you think that, that would be entirely possible if they were going to have a five-issue series. They could easily plan that out well in advance to have somebody be well far ahead of schedule where they could do that. Now, I don't actually think that it would be a good idea to have a, an event like this take place as a weekly. I wouldn't want that to happen. <sighs> My experience with weekly series, I've, I read... Uh, 52 and Countdown when they were releasing, yep. and they weren't bad. Um, and I don't really have any complaints. I mean, like, I wasn't super invested into the story, but I wasn't, I didn't really have a whole lot of complaints about them. That being said, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Batman Eternal and this other Future Ends Weekly that they're going to also have out at the same time once they roll, once they roll those out, because this is New 52 World and everything is, could be different. But, I almost have to wonder to myself if the whole reason all this stuff is on hold with the Batman Eternal thing happening is because everything will change after Forever Evil. And it's basically, in some ways, well, some of, at least some of the characters within the Bat Universe, they're going to have to wipe the state clean. Because you're looking at, is it a coincidence that Batman Zero Year, the conclusion was pushed back till the, to March? I don't know, because with knowing that Forever Evil also ends in March, the Batman Eternal most likely kicking off in April, and all of these other books also having to possibly deal with the events of Forever Evil in April, do you, do I think that's a coincidence? No, I really don't. I think that that was planned out in some way where it was like, okay, because Greg Capullo all he ever tweets about is how much he works and how how much time he works every single day, how much effort he puts into the books. And he is always adamantly talking about his deadlines and his scheduling and all this stuff and how far along he is on each issue and blah, blah, blah. And all of this happens, and it's like it's very odd that just coincidentally they throw in an extra issue for 28, pushing 29 to, the, to March to be the zero-year finale. And then... April's going to come along and something's going to change. You know, Batman Eternal is going to happen. 
they're going to have to, you know, address some of the things that happened at Forever Evil in some of the books. So I'm wondering if that's a coincidence. I think not. All right. So with that, that is all of our listener Q&As. We'll remind everybody you can send your listener Q&As to podcast at thebevanuniverse.net or you can head over to the website for the podcast post and check out the comment section below the podcast and you can leave your comments, questions, or concerns there. With that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody of a couple of different things. Number one, uh, we have launched a new podcast on the website. It is called Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Podcast. This is a podcast specifically focusing on Tim Drake. Um, this is obviously in addition to the fact that we already have Backle the Oracle, focusing on Barbara Gordon and Backerel, and we have uh, Taking Flight, which focuses on Robin as a whole of a character. Um, this one will focus specifically on Tim Drake and run through his history. Um, so, real quick, we have a promo for that. R. What's that stand for? Robin. Hello, everyone. This is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, starting the first part of December. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? I'm right in the middle of uh, recording a, an ad for my, my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. So you can take a look on the website. The first episode is already posted as you're listening to this. The episodes are set to release uh, every two weeks, so you can look forward to that. In addition to that, I want to remind everybody to head over to the website, because as I mentioned earlier, there's all kinds of reviews from all these different books, and uh, show support for the reviews that are being left on the website by leaving your comments for other reviewers, or for the reviewers who are taking their time out of their schedule to review these books for you to get an idea of what you should be picking up and what you shouldn't be picking up. In addition to that, you can check out all of the news we have to offer, including movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics as well. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And, of course, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. This is, in fact, the last episode for 2013 that we will be uh, releasing uh, as the week of Christmas, the books released by DC are going to be delayed, so we will actually see you in three weeks, which will be 2014, so uh, we hope you enjoyed 2013, we apologize for the delay for this episode, and uh, trust us when we say there's plenty to come for 2014. So that is everything for this episode, this is Dustin, this is Joe, and this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, we'll see you guys in three weeks.
now this waterfall sound has disappeared. I, I jiggled the things. Maybe that helped. Okay. Then the uh, next bit, also from December 7th. Uh, also, also, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> you have nothing to say in regards to that? I, to be honest, I just, like, zoned out. For, what was the final word you said? Something, something. A complete 180. It's a complete 180 from the way she's been portrayed for the last two and a half years. And who is the she? Batgirl. And what is the main thing that has just happened? So basically, Dustin, you could repeat yourself. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> okay. Just the highlights. Basically, Tim Seeley is writing an arc in Batman Eternal. The main character that he's focusing on is Batgirl. He described her as lighthearted, focusing on helping people, and completely different than the way she's been treated recently, and because she's not going to be so vendetta focused. Do you think that's Does a he- slap in the face of Gail Simone? If it is, I applaud him and ask him to do it again. <laughs> And, oh. What just happened? <laughs> I don't know. I have a lag, so, like, I feel like sometimes I think he's done, but he, I, I think I'm interrupting him. So I'll just wait several seconds before. Well, he's definitely done that. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Joe, if I'm interrupting And my other him. point was um, that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> see? <laughs> um. Oh, Skype, why have you forsaken me? I do have one question, and it's about Corrigan there. Is this the Corrigan that becomes a Spectre, do you believe? No, because it's Dan Corrigan. It wasn't. Even though you said. Are you sure? You said, it was Jim Corrigan is the one that becomes a Spectre. Well, yeah, but are you sure it was Dan Corrigan? That's what the issue Okay, is. maybe I had another issue and they changed it. <laughs> No, I don't know about what Dustin said that, you know, that's like an easy job to get or those are the jobs that everybody has these days. I don't remember the exact quote. But don't you kind of need to have some sort of like schooling with that because you can't just like go in there unless it's like beer and everyone's asking for a Budweiser. I mean, he's got to know. He's got to have some skills, some skills, cocktail like that Tom He's Cruise. not working in like a mixology bar. <laughs> but he still needs to know how to make stuff. It's all like written up. I will say that just because uh, just because Stella name dropped Budweiser, Budweiser oh is not a sponsor God. for our podcast. Oh my gosh. But if it wants to be, I don't drink beer anyways because it's. Um, what was that thing? Oh. But uh, I just feel like Dick Grayson could be a better character. You should be doing something a little bit more than just being a bartender. Uh. And that's not anything against anybody out there who is a bartender. We just lost at least 10% of our audience. Wow. I didn't realize we had so many bartenders <laughs> as our audience. They play us on live music nights. See? Oh, See? Yeah. yeah, first of all, I tried to get a job in a bar and Ooh. didn't fit the personality test. Um, I guess because they will, will be like, you know, so you see the game last night? And I'd be like... Um, no, but have you heard this new news about Batman? So, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that might have been the reason. So, could have been decaf. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's decaf. I'm going to say if you're ordering coffee, you could order anything in, on the menu. If you're going to order coffee, you're probably not going to order decaf. Uh, um, Alright. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. 
It was saying you touched the one. Okay. Uh, what was the question again? See if it reminds me. It's... Joe, jiggle your thing. Okay. Oh, it's... There you go. sorry. Is that better? Jiggle it again. Um, jiggling. Try jingling. Jingling? How, how do you... What? <laughs> I think it was a joke. Try jingling. Sure. You're terrible. Dustin. Very... Very weak joke, I guess. Uh, yeah, I know I am a female. Thank you. Can I pick other people other than Batman? Or was that his question? As long as it's a, as long as it's somebody from the Batman universe team. So I can't say Batman and Spider Man is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, you guys. Uh, no, it'd be fun to see Batman. I'm itching my brow, <laughs> rubbing my that brow. Means- Trying to massage my head so I don't. He's pull. After your answer right. and your kind of like a just get behind all the nonsense, I had an image of Batman kind of on patrol, just listening to Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh! With Spider Man, you mean? No, you know, like we are never ever. ever oh, <laughs> oh, okay, Joe. But you know, in the Bat voice, so like, we yeah, are never right. ever. <laughs> Dustin, are you okay? Well, we we clearly have been on here way too long. Okay. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. But yeah, let's try to say that where you're not talking over each oh, other. Apologies. So if Sal, you're gonna sing your Merry Christmas, sing it so then Joe can say okay. his. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You don't have to say Merry Christmas. You could say we'll see you next year. I'm just saying you both talked at the exact same time. No one will understand what anybody's saying. It's festive. You can put in some like... There you go. She says Merry Christmas, then you say see you next year. Don't do it again or should I just... Uh, Just say it again. See you next year. Have a nice day.